All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bearded Gear podcast. This is episode number 20 already, and uh, I'm joined tonight by somebody I'm actually really excited to talk to because we've never spoken before, um, and the timing is perfect. Um, <laughs> tonight's guest is Brian from Keenison Knives, and just within the last like week, I got my first Keenison knife, which also happens to be my first custom folder in the proper sense of the term. And uh, I'm stoked about it, enjoying it. So even though we've been talking about doing this for a while, the timing really was perfect. So Brian, how are you tonight, man? Very good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing real well. Yeah, um, so you're in Texas, I'm in California. Yep. And Keenison, so I'm going to need somewhat of a history here, both for me and for the people listening, because I've only been aware of you guys for probably about a year. It was like the first time I saw a friend of mine pick up one of your knives and I didn't know what it was. And then I like started following you on Instagram, saw that it was a whole thing and you had multiple models and like it was a whole rabbit hole I kind of needed to dive down. And since that time, I've had quite a few friends get some of your knives. So I've become more and more acquainted kind of by proxy by seeing people I trust say good things about your knives. But now I finally have one. So in terms of obviously you haven't been around for only that long what's kind of been the history like when did you start how did it begin what do you guys look like over there yeah uh good question it's it's kind of an interesting community um you know there are a lot of great makers out there it's it's a it's a huge uh, especially you know the knife market in general but handmade knives is a, is a big market and it's uh Right when you think you know everybody, there's just a whole different segment of people that you've never reached that don't know about you. Uh, so we started about four four years ago, I want to say now. Um, okay. Uh, my buddy Daniel and I, uh, my background is in industrial product design, and my buddy Daniel is, you know, a metal metal fabricator welder. Um, yeah. Had you know, we had kind of come together on knives. Uh, he had. And he had a spider co with this wicked hook on the end that he pulled out the first time I met him. You know, I, I forget what I had in my pocket, but he, he called out my pocket knife and he pulled out this, you know, uh, wicked spider co and we, we kind of bonded on knives. So, um, and he's probably on yeah. Instagram. Is he coffee and blades? Is that, he is. Okay. Yeah. Daniel Cause I coffee. see you guys, he gets tagged in some of your photos, but yep. okay. Most Sorry. of them I, I have to say, uh, yeah, so there are three of us. Daniel and I uh, started doing this together. We kind mm -hmm. of um, pushed each other to to keep at it, even when it got frustrating. And then Will Walker came in at at uh, probably the second year, uh, mm -hmm. second or third year, to help us do machining, just because we had so much going on, and he had a talent for it. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so you know, Daniel and I had an idea to make a knife. Um, we saw Rad, you know, Colin from Rad Knives. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but I, most people are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we saw one of his cleavers years ago and I messaged him and said, how do I get one of these? And he said, well, it'll be 2,500 bucks, which now we know is probably a pretty good deal. $2,500 and right. six months. And he said, and I need the money up front. <laughs> and so I said, wow, holy, holy geez. How, how did we get into this? Yeah. Uh, so I went to, I went to Daniel and I said, so I think I can design a knife if you can, start machining it for me. Uh, he was working at a, an auto body shop or an auto custom, custom auto shop out here in Austin. Okay. Um, so they had a mill and we bought a grinder and I designed a knife and we, we kind of got at it to see what we could do with it. 
Um, and the first one was terrible. And uh, as it should be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most no most knife makers their first knife is is horrible. But uh, that I think was, anything it was bad. creative. Your first, your like my first video on YouTube. I should look back at it and cringe. Otherwise, I yeah. waited too long to start. You shouldn't be perfect on your first try. No, no, no. And, and, and that's kind of how the industry goes constantly, right? I mean, uh, everybody always asks, what's your your favorite knife? What's, what's the best knife you ever made? It was the last one, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it should always be the last one. You should always be improving. But yeah, uh, yeah. so it was, it was bad, but we stuck with it. Uh, we bought the same Grizzly Mill that we use today. We bought uh, kind of a month or two in. It was in April, you know, four four years ago, um, and we decided we were going to make some knives for Blade Show, mm. and so we made four knives, and uh, they all sucked. Two two of them made made them. Uh, we almost got them done the night before we left for Blade Show, but we made we put them together at in Atlanta when we got there. Oh man! And uh, yeah, so we got to it. So it's been four years. Uh, Daniel, Will, Will, and I have been uh, plugging away. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a, a, a kind of a, I don't want to say a slow burn. It's been awesome. Uh, we've had some really great influences right off the bat. Uh, Shane from Scorpion six really helped us out a lot when yeah. we started. So Shane's an awesome dude. I, uh, I've been in a group yeah. chat with him for three or four years now. Um, that just like happened to come together and he's the only maker in there. The rest of us are just like enthusiasts and, yeah. uh, I love yeah. talking to that guy. Super, super He's so, cool. Dude. So accessible and and like a lot of the community. I, I I mean he he shared everything with us. There was no yeah. secrets there. Uh, so I, I contacted Shane just to kind of figure out we were releasing our first knife, the Stray Flipper, which wasn't far off of the one you have, man. I mean that was a later one. Yeah, the the Flipper Stray was uh, that was the first knife I ever designed, um, and the first one you know first model we ever created. We learned a lot from it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that the other, you know, the later models have benefited from, you know, the learning experience of that knife. But sure. uh, yeah, yeah. So we were coming out with that and I called Shane and said, hey, man, listen, I have some questions about, you know, how you get this going and what things you've come across that you wouldn't do and what things went well. And so he gave me his phone number and I called him that day and uh, we started going over stuff and it was huge. And and so after kind of building a relationship, I said, hey, man, it would you be cool with Daniel and I coming out there and kind of seeing what you have going on? So he said, yeah, come on out. And he and Katie welcomed us into their home. And, you know, we went through a shop and he gave us, it, it, we were there for probably four or five hours, maybe six. I mean, yeah. it probably went fast. And uh, he walked us through everything though. It was, it was great to see he's so efficient. I mean, mm -hmm. everything that Shane does is calculated. I think he's a methodical dude. Yeah. Oh man. And, and, and so efficient and so, calculated i mean they they have such a great system going we, we get you know I, I get a lot of messages from people saying you know you guys work hard you guys knock out a lot of knives man we're three guys shane knocks out more knives than we do as a single person i mean that dude works his ass off so yeah. i think he's the hardest working guy in knives right now but um but yeah so great influences that same trip we went out and saw matt west westberg uh berg Blades. another awesome dude yeah 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 uh so we were that same weekend we were in the phoenix area and so we drove an hour and a half to matt westberg's place and uh, again welcomed us into his home and you know his wife and kids were out front playing and we went into the garage and saw what he had going on and he's still a good buddy so um yeah i mean it, it's 
just like a lot of makers. It's it's such a welcoming community. Everybody just kind of said, here's how we do things. If and I tell people all the time, you know, uh, you know, Ryan Rimmer is is good. You know, you guys are making your knife together. Yep, got his yep, donut right it. here. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Ryan and I talk knives all the time, and 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 you know, people are always impressed that knife makers are willing to share information about things, uh, and and not everybody, but you know, like like Shane and Matt. Um, More than a few are are yeah, giving. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, the thing is that I could I could explain to somebody how to do how to make a knife. It's still frustrating. It doesn't mean it just kind of works that way. You have to you have right. to really want to do it to make it work. So um, you could explain the whole process to somebody, but you really have to have to have the desire to make it happen, to make it work. Yeah. So um, that's pretty cool. Uh, and some people do, I've seen some great uh, Will Atkins, Atkins knives. I don't know if I know who that is. I'm going to write yeah. that down. <laughs> Atkins knives. He's, he's a good dude. Uh, you know, he, he has a day job and he kind of does it as a hobby, but he bought a knife from us when we were first starting out. It was a flipper stray. I remember working with him on the project. And then, you know, a year later I saw his first knife and he's knocking. I mean, he, he's awesome at it. So yeah, it, in the same conversations, you know, just messaging people and talking about it. So yeah, it's been a fun journey. Uh, but the, the, the pool started small, you know, we, we, I think we have 11,000 followers right now on Instagram, which is not huge compared to other guys. It's not nothing uh, though. No, no, it's, it's been, it's been fun. I mean, I remember getting to 10,000 and that wasn't that long ago. It's, it's, that was a goal of ours. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of big. I remember, you know, when we started following Scorpion six and Shane, they were at about 10, 10, 11,000. And mm -hmm. that was, that was huge. So we feel blessed to be there and, and it's been uh, a lot of work and fun, but, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome, man. Those are the cliff notes, I guess. Uh, I dig but, it. So the first model was the stray flipper yep. and you guys have quite a few models now, some of which are collaborative, like you're making a, there's a design from Brian Brown. You guys are involved with now. I know there's a, Oh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Is it Vitesse design who designs one of them? Yeah. Joel um, Vitesse. Yep. Yeah. And so you guys do some collaborative, but then you also have some that are yours, like the alpha. And, um, I feel like they all have dog related names, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Keenison, Keenison was named after, uh, Daniel and I started the company together. We, we kind of collaborated and, uh, we both love dogs. His wife's actually a, a professional dog trainer. Um, oh, wow. so I had a dog named Madison and they had a dog named Keen. Mm. So we, made Keenison knives and everything's kind of dog oriented. The stray was the first, the alpha, uh, canine. So we're big dog lovers. Um, I love it. it. Yeah. It was something we could believe in. So it worked out. Yeah. I like the idea of a theme too. Like, and I feel like some makers do that other ones just, it's like whatever name pops into their head, which can also be fun. But yeah, yeah like I think of like, Gavco, all of his knives are named after sharks. And then like yeah. you guys, it's all dogs with Ryan and I, it's inspired by like German automotive culture. And so yeah. it's all going to be like German car inspired or at least European import. Inspired. We talked about and, that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. We talked about the naming before you guys came up with that. And it's, it was fun. It, it's just fun in like a nerdy way too, because it's one of those like if you know you know things, which is funny because yeah. I'm wearing a shirt called "If You Know You Know" today. But yeah, it's a, good. it's like if you weren't 
a dog person, <laughs> the names of your knives, you might not even put two and two together. It would just be yeah. like, you'd look at them as the individual knives. But if you like, once you connect the dots, it's just, it's fun to find like those Easter eggs. And I like it when there's a theme running through knives from a certain maker or certain designer. Cause I don't know. I think it makes it easier to attach to them. And I also have an easier time remembering names like that instead of like ZT who just puts three or four numbers together and calls it a knife. Yeah. I have a hard time with those two. You know, I, I mean, the really not good knife guys, I listen to the knife nuts podcast and stuff too. Mm -hmm. And those guys, uh, they rattle off numbers all the time and I have to get on my phone and Google up. To Which one is that? Yeah. I don't, cause I, I can't keep up with all those numbers. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, nowadays with friends and all there, and I have a pile of knives over here. I'm just referencing them. It, there's so many different names and styles and sizes. And, um, but yeah, so we, we, we do have, we have quite a few, um, started with the stray flipper, uh, which was a fun knife. Mm -hmm. I remember taking that to blade show the first time and just putting it in front of professional knife makers and you know them critiquing what we'd done design wise yeah um and everything that we learned from that knife excuse me it's texas and there's flies out here uh everything that we uh learned from that knife we adapted to the alpha um mm. and the alpha was a big knife but i, I remember you know i the majority of the knives that we all the knives that we make in house um besides the brian brown collab um our knives that I designed uh, and sketched out and kind of went through all the, all the function and all that good stuff. Um, and then the Camden, uh, Joel Vitesse approached us with the Camden and it was just such a great design. I knew we needed to give it a try. Uh, and we've kind of tried to put a, uh, we're trying to get into more production CNC designs. Mm. Now, like most guys, like, you know, I have Brian Brown's Jaeger over here, um, which is so fun. I, I love that whole conversation. Absolute favorite knives. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the V2, but, um, but yeah, I, I you know, I, it's hard to fault what these guys are doing. I, I I'd love to make uh, a more production series knife. The thing is that we want to do it in Texas. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've continued to make things by hand. We did the, the Camden with Vitesse just to kind of uh, start understanding what machine knives were all about. And the best guy to go to for that was uh, Prince Customs, Princeton mm -hmm. Wong. Man, that guy, he works by himself in a shop in Houston and, and he's just so creative and so obsessive about the details. Um, mm -hmm. We met him in a knife meetup in Austin and I, I said to the guys, I was like, we need to work with him on the Camden. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause we didn't know who was going to make it. We just knew that the details that Joel had put into the design lended itself better to CNC than handmade. Right. Um, yeah. The way that that like pivot collar and stuff fits up, it's really cool. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, that was an afterthought actually. Uh, when Joel designed it, it didn't have that collar, but the first ones we did the uh, being such a thin knife, we'd never done anything that thin. Uh, the lock bar, kind of overreached when you would disengage it, you could push it past lockup. Mm -hmm. uh, so Princeton and I sat down and went through some design, you know, ideas for how we could, you know, kind of like a um, strider disc, you know, we were mm -hmm. going to do a strider disc on the lock bar to keep it from over traveling. But 
the over, the enlarged pivot collar. I, I don't think Skiff had done it yet. You know, Skiff. Uh, yeah, they're doing Skiff it now. Knives, yeah. They do it now too. Yeah, I, I think it was about the same time. I mean, we probably all got the same inspiration on everything. It's such a small community. But yeah, right. we, we, we looked at it and said, you know, enlarged pivot collars here could stop the over travel. And, and it was a fun detail, uh, especially material wise. You know, I love working with different materials, different things you can put into different places. So that pivot collar allowed us to do a lot more creative, you know, combinations with materials and things like that. Um, For sure. Yeah. So Camden, you know, Stray, Alpha, Camden, uh, K9. That's a fun design. Um, and uh, some of them are doing yeah. miniature versions of them, which are you're calling the pups, right? So there's a Stray pup, an Alpha pup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, this market is so crazy. I, I, for a while there, it seemed like the market was going more towards small light knives, you know, thin, mm -hmm. light, not these big beasts. I have a, I have a crazy rad cleaver thing here next to me that uh, is a huge knife. And, and that's what got me into knives. I like those big things, uh, especially for handmade. And it's fun to, there's a justified value in a big knife. Mm -hmm. um, and as they get smaller, it doesn't necessarily make them less complicated. You know, the, the time still right it's not more time the, the smaller areas are harder to sand sometimes in any event we we kind of figured the market was going that direction so um a lot of people were especially with the alpha a lot of people liked the alpha but it was too big mm. um, so we did the alpha pup first which i think is a cool size uh, i don't have one around here but um the alpha pup was was kind of something we thought people were asking for now we get a lot of people that want a mid-size, right? The, the yeah. alpha was too big, the pup was too small. It, you know, you can't make everybody happy. Um, right. And then the stray pup was our buddy uh, Carver, Carver Knives, um, David. He messaged us one day and said, hey man, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with his designs, but he makes tiny little- Really little small little stuff. Knives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing, I can't, I, again, working with things that small, it's so difficult, but- uh, yeah, you so he's a said, jeweler to <laughs> you have jeweler's yeah, tools to get into those. Yeah, it hurts your fingers after a while. Um, so yeah, he said, How about a, a mini stray? Um, so we did the stray pup, and it's small. Uh, I didn't think we'd make anything sm smaller than the Camden, but the stray pup is smaller than the Camden, mm -hmm. crazy enough. Uh, but yeah, yeah, all, all really fun. Um, the stray pup is a great, you know, little watch pocket knife. Yeah, I carry a knife in pretty much every pocket I possibly can. So uh, I feel that watch there. pocket. Yeah, that watch pocket knife um, is pretty cool. But I, I don't know. Um, I still like the bigger knives. Yeah. 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 So that's an interesting thing. I've actually had this conversation with a couple of friends, like more privately friends who've been in the design process on knives. And one of my buddies in particular was worried as he was designing a smaller knife. Because he was like, if I put decent materials on this knife still, and if I do the build I want to do, it's not going to be cheap. And he worried that the buyer perception was that because it's small, it should be inexpensive. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, at least from my perception, I don't make custom knives like you do. But I would imagine much of the cost of creating a finished knife it, like the balance is probably more so to all of the work and the finishing and the time that goes into making it 
than it is the difference of an extra inch of this titanium and an inch and a half of this carbon fiber. Like those yeah. things are probably less meaningful than the process of building it. And so I, I think it's a weird perception though, because the human brain, at least for me, when I feel something larger and heavier, I'm like, yes, it's worth more. <laughs> like, oh yeah. My caveman yeah. brain says, yes, this is more material. So it's more valuable, but yeah, oftentimes making things smaller. Yeah. And making things smaller, like you said, can be more difficult. Making things yeah. lighter can be way more expensive, but sometimes they don't feel more expensive because they're lighter. It's like this, this yeah. interesting psychological game that has to be played. Yeah, that's always very strange. I, I agree. Um, you know, it, you, that's a good point you bring up about lightning knives. You know, a lot of time is spent a lot in pocketing and making things lighter, especially with the larger knives, so that they're more more EDCable, right? Uh, for lack of a better term. But um, yeah, I, I I was thinking of a knife. Uh, our buddy David just came out trauma by design. He brought me one of HMC's. Uh, it's a collab he did. I forget the name of it. Uh, the little knife. one? That little... It's not a tiny flipper tab? No. This one has a like a flushed pocket clip. Man, David's going to kill oh. me for not remembering it. And Jim's <laughs> going to kill me for not remembering it. But uh, amazing knife. It, it, and the pocketing that they did in the inside. You know, Jim is a wizard at machining. And, and you could see all the detail done in there. And it was great weight and excellent balance. Um but yeah, it, like you said, it doesn't necessarily have that, you know, heft to it where you say this was expensive because I can feel the, right. the material. But the, the time spent to make that thing right was, you know, that's where the value in that comes in. Yeah. Um, I think it takes a more discerning person at a certain point because like this is already a game for discerning people. Once you're talking yeah. about spending a certain tier of money on knives and like for me, when I first got into the hobby, I wouldn't have appreciated the things that make more expensive knives more expensive. And yeah. oftentimes a lot of it is like artistic quality, but there are certain things that can be done that take time and know-how and the machining on a lot of these objects is undeniably really impressive. So now that I've kind of learned what to look for, I've gotten to the point where like, I don't know. I, I value those little things more and more and more over time because I notice them and I can't unnotice them. But yeah, I think if you're newer to it, then yeah, it's like, that doesn't add up. Why is that so expensive? <laughs> so I love to talk about that, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's something that I've talked about with lots of people because it's one of the things that I think about all the time is, um, you know, I, I have so many knives over here and some of them are made in different countries. Some of them are just made CNC. Um, some of them are handmade. And what makes the market interesting is, you know, I pick up this Jaeger by Brian Brown, you know, the, by Riot, um, and it's epic. I mean, the grind is thin, it centers, it's got a great detent, the lockup is on point. It's, you know, every once in a while I flip it and it's got that ding. Right. I mean, the things about this knife that you look for in other knives, it's all there. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a great price point and, if you can acquire one, I know the market's rough right now, but if you can get one, it's, it's a great knife, right? Yeah. Um, and handmade makers, we're making them by hand, but we're aspiring to make that knife as, as much like a machine as possible. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, I mean, the machine yeah. makes it perfect. That's, it's all there. There's nothing more to be done. It's, it's beautiful, but it, 
if it if somebody had made it by hand, it would have just taken more attention to detail. Um, so I, I say that handmade knives have a warmth. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's in very few cases are handmade knives actually absolutely perfect, right? It's it's probably not going to be as perfect as that CNC knife. Everything's not going to line up the same way. But the attention to detail that the maker put into making it as close to that as possible and, you know, hit the key things. Does it lock up solid? Does it have that, you know, solid hit at the end? Does it, does the detent fall in that hole? Does the, is the lock up solid? Is the action snappy? You know, all, all those things that you look for in a handmade knife, you have to hit those. I mean, those are just the requirements. Um, if you can't do that, then, you know, it's a good knife. If you can get through those requirements and then, you know, put the extra effort on making it, you know, the, the little things after that perfect, then that's where you get in into the upper tiers of, of handmade knife making. Right. Um, and, and I, again, like we talked about earlier, that's a growing process. It's not, you know, I don't think anybody looks at their final product and says that's perfect. I, I, none of the knives you've ever made were perfect. Right. Um, it, it's a controlled chaos. You know, the, the, as soon as you fix one thing, you know, you look at the pivot and you say, it's got a little movement, let's fix that. And then you realize that the detent wasn't lined up perfectly. It was that little bit of play that was making it line up, that was making it click, that was making it center. Mm. And you just keep chasing that dragon down the hole until you, you know, finally find something that works perfectly. Um, yeah. You know, like that knife you have, it's really cool to see that knife that hadn't, that one has a great story. I don't know if Ryan told you the story on that one, but um, it's got an excellent story. And I, and I look at some of the earlier knives you make and I'm like, man, it actually works great. I mean, I, I could tell you 20 things wrong with that knife, but when you put it all together and it all sings, you know, you can't, you can't shake a stick at it. Um, it hits all those yeah. key points and that's, what's important. I think that's one of those things too, that like, as the artist, you're going to see those things, but as the end consumer, it's so much harder to like, I, I go through this constantly because what my wife does professionally is like social media influencing. She's a blogger. Right. And so I take most of her photos and I have grown in my life. I've, I've enjoyed a lot of artistic things, whether it's just like drawing or photography or whatever. I I've learned the balance for myself of like when I can call something done and know that even though I can see a couple of imperfections in it, I can count those as part of the art, right? That's an and, important line. Yeah. And my wife really struggles with that. Yeah. She like, if it's not exactly, not only like compositionally correct, but if it's not exactly what she envisioned before we even got there, then yeah. it eats away at her. Um, which is, as I assume you're married, um, yeah. it, it's a yeah. remarkable frustration when you're like yeah, we yeah. did it we have a, you, you we, have to respect it you know you have yeah. to respect that other, that's part of marriage right that's the difficult right. part is respecting that other person's position on that and the same way with uh and i will tell you it's not a marriage but working with two other guys in a knife shop is the same way right okay. i mean it's it's that same thing and and sometimes one person's standard of you know hey it's not quite what we wanted it to be let's push it further but like you said, there's a point where you, sometimes you have to stop, right? I mean, um, and I, again, had this conversation very recently with somebody about where is that line? You know, you want it to be perfect, everything perfect. 
and and it's not to say that that's not possible. There's some great makers out there that do amazing things that um, I look at them all the time and think, how how the hell did they pull that off? Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to take that one piece and make it as good as somebody else's, and you're going to run it in the ground and grind too much off of it, and take too much material off the spine and push lock up too far and you know, all those things that make a knife work, um, it can ruin it. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I knew I was going to bring this up, but most knife makers that I know, the only knives that they have that are their own are the rejects, the ones that right. didn't make it that out they the door. Sell. Yeah. 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 I, I, and Brian came up to, in my brain when I was thinking about this earlier, because, Brian Brown, uh, we met him in person, I think it was like two, two, three years ago now at Blade Show. And all he had on him was a warthog with lock stick and, you know, a, a detent he didn't love. It was probably too firm. And and he's like, hey, you know, this is the one that didn't make it. And yeah. I think every knife maker, that's the one they carry in their pocket is the one that didn't make it, um, of course. which if is like, so funny. If you're a butcher, you're not eating the filet. You're, <laughs> you're taking yeah. home the cuts that no one yeah. else is going to eat. And and people always ask me, you know, I get stopped here and there in Texas of people that recognize us as, as Texas knife makers because we try to grow our brand in Texas as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And hey, hey, what are you carrying? And it's like, um, I got a giant mouse biblio on me. Um, sorry, man, I don't I don't have anything because uh, because they rarely stick around. I mean, the only knife I have in the house right now is a non flipper stray that we had the the material on the show side crack around the lock around the stop pin oh man hasn't affected it i've carried it for quite a while but um i couldn't send it out so i keep it with me and and i you know it's got a great action so i show it to people as as an example of the action but and most people don't even see the little crack but yeah yeah for the people that care right i do think it's cool too like the idea of getting something that's actually custom the idea that there are subtle flaws do kind of show that the maker was there. Right. And it reminds me, um, I spent a lot of time in automotive and I used to watch a lot of car reviews. I used to dabble in car reviewing and I got the chance to drive a lot of cars through doing photography and, um, and just working in the industry. And something that I've heard said by a number of people and that I really agree with is that like, there was a certain era of sports cars and like supercars that, were imperfect in like a way that was probably a little bit dangerous, right? Like if you think of the Porsche Carrera GT, like more than a few people have died in that car. Yeah. (laughs) Some of them very notable. Like that's what Paul Walker died in, you know? Right. Um, And that car is probably my favorite car. Just period. It's my favorite car for sure that I've ever had the chance to drive. And I didn't even get to like drive one hard, but even just like, driving one for a few minutes to experience what that car was like it's visceral and it's imperfect. And it feels like if you compare that to getting into, um, I don't know, say even just like a Lamborghini Huracan, which is objectively faster now, also a V10. It's like, it feels a little more assisted and a little more like video gamey. The Huracan is still a bananas fun car. Don't get me wrong. Like, incredible incredible and it's faster it's it's probably more perfect right but which one would i actually take i'd take the one that's imperfect and feels a little more raw and has 
the manual transmission and the three pedals and there's wood in the interior, like these yeah. things that you don't get now because it's gotten more and more and more perfect and they've worked all the bugs out. But some of those bugs were fun and they gave it like the character that made it what it was. Yeah. I think I look at custom knives that way where there is the segment of CNC knives, right? And then there's also production knives and custom knives sits in this space where it, it oftentimes is way more expensive than the CNC knives. It's definitely more expensive than production. And, and it's not even trying to be what either of those are. And yeah. I like that the idea that something on this knife, or I just got a custom chef knife as well from my buddy, CJ Miller, Miller knife works. Like yes. when he sent it to me, he's like, there are things on this knife that aren't perfect. And he's like, you might find them. And I was like, if I do cool, like <laughs> it, it's going to yeah. functionally work if it functionally works right. And I enjoy it. Then like, I'll probably smile at the little things where I can see that you are the person who made this. It's like a, some kind of signature on it. Not saying you should go and try to put flaws on knives. on purpose. No, no, but, not at all. I, I mean, and everybody is trying, like we said, it's trying to strive for that machine. You know, you're trying to yeah. take something that's handmade and make it as efficient as a machine would. I mean, that, that's a tough, uh, it's a tough bar. Right. Um, so you have to appreciate the little flaws in there, um, which I mean, this is a great, uh, great kind of example of that inlay we just did this week. I don't know if you I saw, saw that, that one. It's a carbon fiber pearl. scale with mother of pearl in it. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. It yeah. was a, it was kind of like a carbo quartz. It was from carbon plate though. They did mm -hmm. kind of a, a really, uh, their adaptation of it. It was very good. The way that they layered it, it, it looked fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it was the first inlay we ever did. It was the first inlay I ever tried to fit. And as I was doing it, I think, you know, there, obviously there was two pieces there. I think it took almost five hours to fit those two into those scales. Um, and and as I'm fitting them, you know, I'm very nervous because you never really know how they fit until you sand them, you know, to the contour. Right. Just because the depth, you know, that final layer might have different pits from where you, in any event. You just never know until you're done with it. Um, and and they came out fantastic. But as I'm sitting there staring at it, obviously I can see that there are little areas that could be more flush. I mean, overall, it was fantastic. Um, yeah. We're really pleased with what we did with them and, and the way it turned out. But I could see the flaws, right? And I, I just gave it to the customer this evening, so it's fresh in my mind. And And I had to say to him, right? I mean, he was taking it. He's a local guy here in Austin, um, and I, I brought it to him and, and gave him the knife. And and uh, I said to him, you know, he, he was on his way to a hunting trip with some friends, and he, that's why he wanted it today. Uh, so he pushed really hard to get it done for him. And I said, you know, you're going to sit there around the fire, and somebody's going to find a flaw in this thing. Like, I know they are, because I can yeah. see them. And and he looked at it, and he goes, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. And I said, I guarantee you somebody's going to find something wrong. Right. That's just kind of what it is, man. You know, we did it by hand. It wasn't a CNC machine. It wasn't, wasn't exact. And even in that aspect, I'm not trying to write off CNC guys. It's hard to fit even a CNC piece into another CNC piece. It's, it's not like you would think right. of like plug and play, hit play. To not have goes, any gaps. That's yeah. People it's talk insane. about tolerances I mean, for a reason. Yeah, no. I, and, and I'm, and that's something we're going to try to get into as well. I mean, I, that's another avenue of, of professionalism that I can't even touch at this point. Um, and I hope to get more into it because it's an art, but, uh, 
yeah, anytime you do inlays like that, it's it's a it's a crazy process. So those went out really well. But like you said, you have to appreciate those little things. You have to see that yes, somebody did it by hand. Yes, that's where it is. Otherwise, you doubt it almost, right? You look at it, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if they didn't put this on a machine. It looks like it's too good. Right. Uh, so, you know, that's where we just run the end mill into the in, inlay. I mean, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> you just take a Dremel to it. And yeah. Give it a couple and scuffs. Now it looks handmade. That's fun. Yeah. Oh, man. So uh, I know you mentioned that you'd like to get into some level of production knives, but it's important to you to make sure that it stays in Texas, which I think is awesome. Um, I just, I, and my most recent podcast, the one I just did is with my buddy, Jason, um, who's a big spider co guy. He's one of the creators of the Millie club on Facebook. Um, and we went pretty deep into the weeds of like us made versus Chinese and and elsewhere, not just China, there are knives made in Russia and Italy and all these things. And, um, yeah. it was interesting because obviously I, with Ryan, I have a knife project that's taking place. The OEM is in China. Yeah. Um, and the frustration for me has been over the last while, even before deciding to go down into like actually making a knife myself, I've been curious, like who a player even could be in the U S to have a knife made so for you looking at doing a, a production project how do you envision like will part of that process have to be you guys in your shop and then you outsource like some water jetting and some grinding or is it like you source a couple different players who each do a different part of the process how do you because i, I really want that to question. be a thing i yeah. so badly want that to yeah. be a thing where people who want to design knives in the u.s have a shot at having them built here but I yeah. just haven't seen it be an option. So I, I'd love to know, know how you how you envision it. I know. I, I, I you know, the, the vision is obviously always different than the execution, right? Um, of course. We have the advantage of being able to, you know, hand grind knives. So um, there's a little bit of a handmade aspect in there. I, I guess, you know, it, it depends on the price point. I, I'd love to come in at a reasonable, you know, 350 price point and try to compete with some of the guys that are doing this overseas. But yeah. the reality of that is that to get a knife off of a machine and make it as good as they do it is really, really difficult. They do. I mean, again, this this Brian Brown Yeager from Riot is just killer. I mean, if you're looking that at, at that as your competition at a three hundred and fifty dollar yeah. retail price, I can't imagine how daunting that is. <laughs> no, it is. It's, I mean, it's a goal, right? I mean, any anything you do, you have to have a goal for what you're trying to do. Um, but it it does seem like the impossible dream. Uh, I I don't know. I, right now, we just try to do what we can. I I want to do scales and do parts and do. I, I don't think we'll ever do a grind on a machine just because mm -hmm. I I don't see it accomplishing the goal as we have it set. Um, mm -hmm. I know they have some secret machine over there that grinds these knives because they're just so good. They're so um, perfect. They're so perfect. I, I yeah. you know, uh, lots of guys that, uh, and I'm not going to name drop, but a lot of these knives that come from overseas, I look at these grinds and I'm like, what kind of machine is this? Because it's so crisp and so clean and so even. I know nobody's doing it by hand, but yeah, um, you know the vision is just to get one CNC going and get two going and get three going um, and start running parts and try to make it as affordable as possible while keeping the quality. Um, 
because there are guys that that do one-off knives on CNC machines, and and the price point is still it's up there because they're they're spending the time on the details, right. uh, and it's an exchange. The bar is set high. There's there, again, we we discussed it. There's really nothing wrong with this knife. It's everything you want it to be. So, right. um, that's what that's what we have to compete with. Uh, quality can't be be lost but there's a way to design for an efficient knife on a cnc machine and then there's a way to design you know the next level knife um which you know i have some of those guys uh this bill coning this coning areas that i have here this is it's been my yes. favorite knife for a long time it is <laughs> bill bill is a wizard um talking about pocketing and lightning things i mean this is a carbon fiber show side with a lightened car, uh, titanium lock side, and it is one of the lightest, best actions. Yep. I mean, Bill's attention to detail is second to none. So, and and he's built this same knife so many times in so many different versions, but he keeps getting better. Right. right. I mean, this is a testament to what you can do with a CNC machine. If you keep plugging away at it, it gets yeah. better. You know, it, that first effort might not be the best one because he just keeps improving it. So. You know, I, I don't know where that bar is. I'm excited to find it. Um, yeah. I'm excited to play with it because I see myself getting this obsessed with the details, but I know that at this price point over here, you can't be this obsessed. Right. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's not what you're, but, but again, you know, I, I'm holding up a, a Jaeger and a, and a, an Arius and I don't know that you can compare the two in the same ballpark necessarily, but they're both really excellent knives, right? Right. Um, I will always put the Arius in a bigger, I have to say, it, Brian, don't get upset, and Riot, don't get upset. But uh, I'm sure knowing Brian just a little, he wouldn't be upset about you saying an Arius is nicer than his production knife. Yeah, no, uh, I, I'm, and I hope not, because, it, I mean, I, I know what Bill puts into these knives, and... and yeah. uh, and it's it's a it's a it's a labor of love. I mean, he he works the shit out of these things, um, and they're have great. You, this is my favorite. Have you met the guys at Tactile Knife Co? Will Hodges is the main guy over there, from what I understand. The name sounds very familiar. I don't know if I have a. So they're in Texas, and their Tactile Turn was the pen company. And oh yeah, now they're, yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah. they've just started like a knife division, separate company, kind of, but. Mm -hmm. Same guys, I imagine, same shop even. Um, yep. And so they're in Texas, small staff, and they've got me excited at the moment because their first knife offering is kind of like the size of a small Sabenza, but has what I would consider more exciting machining, the way that they're CNCing it. Um, yep. And they're coming in at 300 bucks on it with XHP blade steel. It's a titanium liner lock titanium scales i think it's a stainless steel little lock bar they've inserted in it um and it's it's an interesting first design it's fairly simple but it's complex enough that it looks somewhat unique and like it's a cool yeah. little knife i just got one and the detent was a little light on it but it was in the first hundred they made it was like knife number 95 and mm -hmm. so they had updated the detent. And when I saw that post, I asked him, I was like, has it been updated since mine? He's like, yeah, if you want to send it in, I'll update it for you. So it's with them right now. He DM'd me today. He's working on it. And That's great. they've only made a few hundred of them so far. But the idea that there's a shop in Texas making a production knife and coming in at $300 with oh. pretty good materials 
is like really, really exciting to me. Um, obviously like that doesn't mean that they could be an OEM for me as a designer to come to them and have them build knives for me necessarily. Yeah. But the idea that more and more people in the U S might try to play that game and play it at that price point, instead of starting at this arbitrary $450 line that CRK hinderer and strider start at, like, yep. I love that idea. So the idea that I, maybe Texas is the hotbed because if you guys are trying to get into there, Tactile Knife Co. is trying to do this now. Like there are some players who are who are trying to play this game here. Yeah, you know, you have to be willing to kind of put it on the line. Uh, it was the same thing with our, our our first offering, right? With the the stray, um, we put it in at a six hundred dollar price point for a handmade knife that we were spending hours and hours and hours on. Um, Mainly because, and I'm not saying that's what these guys are doing. Hopefully we can all just hit that price point effectively. But, you know, you, you have to sometimes bite the bullet and say, here's where we want to be, see our quality, see what we're doing and, and start a buzz with it. Yeah. And then hopefully either, you know, one of two things happens. Either your, your price point goes up because your quality is at that level, right? Because you can meet that demand or the inverse is that you you get to tool up and have the efficiency in your shop to actually be attaining that price point. Have a margin and, that's comfortable. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, enough machines, enough people, enough, uh, uh, enough you know, of your experience and the things that are going to go wrong. Because that's really what any of this is, is experience in the things that are going to go wrong, uh, especially in knife making. Just because it comes off the CNC doesn't mean the lockup works, doesn't mean the detent works. Um, yeah. It's crazy going, how much of yeah. knife making is a business. <laughs> I think it's it's easy to look at knife makers and just like judge them by their work. But a lot of the ones that people know most about, it's not just because they have good knives, but it's because they've figured out how to build the, at least the, the necessary parts of the business around it. Because yeah. you can take someone who's the most incredibly talented artistic maker in the world. And if they can't figure out how to price their knives correctly and sell them for the right amount, like they're either going to hate it so much because they're working for too little, or they'll just actually go out of business because they won't be able to justify it. Like it has yeah. to add up. And so that's a, that's a serious undertaking compared to just making the object that is the knife. And so it's interesting to see as I'm meeting more and more makers, like so much more of their worries, like it seems like the design is kind of the easiest part. And then the making is really hard too, but the business is like this whole other gorilla that has to be wrestled constantly. Yeah. And business is that way across the board, right? I mean, no matter what business you're in, it, it, right. what's, what's uh, you know, kind of a facade about custom knife making is, you know, the price point seems so exorbitant. Right. I mean, it's like $2,500 for a knife. It's, it's not, you know, we're not making money hand over fist. I mean, it takes, you know, people ask me all the time, how long does it take to make one of these? How do I even answer that? Which, which knife? Right. Just a titanium knife? And, and even to say a titanium of any model, you know, say it takes, and this is conservative, say it takes 16 hours, right? Um, that's if it goes right. That's if right. everything you do just in, in the perfect storm of things happening right now, the detent fell perfect and the pivot was perfectly sized and the stop pin hit the end of the track just where you want it to. I right. mean, 
your end mill didn't break halfway through. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that stuff, that's just part of machining, right? But, but it's that, you know, I can make, we can make three knives exactly the same on the same end mill in the same process, one after the other, and you'll put them all together and all of them will behave differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to have experienced it so many times to say, oh, this one just needs this and this one needs this and this one will do this. And hopefully by the time you're done, they're all in the same realm, right? They're all, they're all working pretty much exactly the way you want them to, but they all have different personalities and mm-hmm. it takes us back to that warmth conversation, right? I mean, every knife has a warmth and especially when we're, we're working with as many materials as we are. Um, again, I love working with new materials. I love trying new material combinations but all of those things behave differently. You know, they all have different, you know, tolerances as far as thickness goes or how they retain to other materials or the support they're going to provide a liner at the width at the, I'm sorry, the uh, size that you've specced for that knife. You just don't always know that all those things are going to work together. Um, so again, handmade, it's, it's a warm, it's controlled chaos. It's like, Yes, all of these things in this thing work, but if you went back and analyzed every little thing, you'd probably say that it, it shouldn't, but they do. Um, yeah. you, you like to think that everything that everybody does is just tits on and, and everything is flat <laughs> and everything. In reality, it's just, you know, we, we just have experienced enough things to say, you know, here's where your flaw is, fix that, and, and this will sit where you need it to. Yeah. Um, and and in in a sometimes all the stars align and everything everything comes down and one ray of light shines on that knife and everything is on right where you want it to be, and that's a beautiful moment. Um, but I you never it. remember those knives. You never remember those those those. So many knives have come through and they were great and we finished them and we packed them up and they left. I never saw them again. Nobody said anything. It's always the ones that you spend a week on that have you know, the issues that you have to work out and re-flatten yeah. and re-machine. fight with it. Yep. And those are the ones that you remember, uh, oddly enough. And yeah. and they all stand out in my brain. But but when they when they do come together, um it's it's awesome. It's so rewarding. You go home that day and you take a deep breath and you have a beer and you say, Holy crap, that was uh that was touch and go, but you yeah. know, everything works. So I'm sure those are the ones too that make you feel like the most confident as a maker when you do get it to just like check, 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 check. We did it like this one. We just, we nailed it. You know? Yeah. I think oh, yeah. it made me think too. I watch a lot of meat eater, Stephen Ranella. Yeah. I don't know if you're yeah. it's a great show. Absolutely. And uh, one thing that I've heard him say more than once is like, I forget the way he words it, but basically the sentiment is, his favorite hunts are the ones that really, really suck while you're doing them. Like you're in the rain the whole time and it's just constant climbing. And like even the ones where they didn't even end up getting anything are the ones where like a year later are the most fun things to talk to the buddy who was there with you about and reminisce about, and you want to get out there and do it again. And you don't remember the ones that you just, you walked in a couple hundred yards and you spotted the buck and you took it down and yeah. you harvested it. Like it's the struggle that makes it impactful. And so I dig that. You, you learn something new about yourself. Right. Yeah. And, and it again goes back to that conversation we we're having about when do you stop as a creative person? 
when are you going to run this into the ground? And, and each time you look at something, you know, we did it today, we were working on a project and, and we all sat down and said, okay, this is not how we want it. Do we take this further knowing that we can just run this absolutely into the ground and this thing is going to be ruined and we're going to throw it in the box in the corner? Or, you know, is this what we can do with this? Is this the limit? We call it what it is right here. And right. then maybe next time we take those lessons and we try again and but, but that's better. what we're growing from, right? Exactly. And and so we chose to push it to the limit and we we fixed the issue. It was exactly what we wanted it to be in the end. Um, and it felt really rewarding to be able to mm. do that. Now, I, as many times as that's worked out, it's it's gone the other way, right? I mean, yeah. there's a box of, of shit in our, our corner of our warehouse that we don't delve into because we don't want to remind ourselves of them. Um, yeah. But but yeah, you learn something new about yourself and you learn that new step to say that next time that happens, if you just take that next step, you'll solve it because you took the risk to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's the same thing with him, right? I mean, you're out of your comfort zone. You're you're in the cold, you're in the wet, you're going to push it. But once you get to where you're going, you know that the next time you do it, you have the wherewithal to get through it. So Right. Because um, the lows been, define the highs. It, it oh, has yeah, to work yeah. that way. If everything's it's just smooth crazy. sailing, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, don't no, appreciate I'm, it. I think that's one of the things that we've appreciated most about this journey is is learning so much about ourselves and and how far we're willing to push it. Because I've said so many times to people, if Daniel and I hadn't started it together, if we hadn't been in the garage together, I would have stopped working so many times. I would have gone home and said, you know what, this is too difficult. There's there's no way we can pull this off. But mm-hmm. you know, having him do you know, it, it just was an exchange. When he was frustrated, I'd get in there and and make sure that we were trying what we could. And vice versa. When I was pissed off, he'd get back in the shop and do something else. And yeah, and uh, it it we kept pushing each other to to do more, um, which was a lot of fun. And and but that's not very common. A lot of these guys, you know, all the guys we're talking about all started in the garage by themselves. Brian still works in the garage by himself. I I admire the shit out of that because, like I said, I would have quit so many times. I'd yeah. have thrown things into the wall and walked out and probably never come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a certain kind of animal to be able to to do that for sure. Yeah. Lock yourself in a box and don't come out until it's done. Like that's, I don't know. I haven't and, tried it, so I don't know <laughs> what I'd come and, out with. And more than that, to hold yourself to a standard. That's that's one of the things that uh, Rotten Design, John Sorensen, mm-hmm. um, we, we, we had the opportunity, uh, the blessing to talk to John many times about what he does. And you, I look up to John very much in in the way that he does things and his his per his. That dude can grind. <laughs> he can grind, but his attention to detail on top of the grind and yeah. and and rad knives. Colin from Rad Knives, the same thing, right? I mean, what makes some of those guys, for good or bad, controversy or not, what makes them good at what they do is their attention to detail. It's it's excessive and it's a impulsive and. Um, they just they can't stop and and so when you talk to them we're making knives in a garage you know sometimes you look at something you go especially in the beginning you go yeah that that'll you know that's the best we can do but then you look at somebody else's best and you say no that's the best you can do Mm. and it keeps pushing you but when you're in that room by yourself 
uh, you have to find the motivation to say, no, that scratch that I'm sending out, you, you got to really get it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not good enough. It's not gone until it's gone. Just because yeah. you, you say somebody will probably not notice it, that's not good enough. It's right. if you see it, get rid of it. And, and that was, you know, uh, that's one of the things that the great guys do amazingly is they, that attention to detail. And I, I know that we can always improve in it. I know everybody can probably improve in it. And I know those guys probably see the flaws, like we said earlier, right? Every artist always sees the flaws, even if we don't. Um, but you have to keep, you know, you can't say they won't see it. You have to say, no, I see it. I'm going to get rid of it. And that's that's another tier. That's another special trait that, I mean, we all help to develop further. Right? I'm, I'm not saying that we have it in droves. I'm just saying, you know, that's the thing that goes through my mind when I'm sitting there polishing the blade and it's like, Oh, I'm sure the buffer will get that out. Okay. No, nope. you gotta, you gotta keep at it until it's not there and then buff it and, yeah. and hope, you know, not, not trust the compound to get that scratch out. So, um, it's an interesting thing. It's every day is an exercise in in pushing your mental state to Low say, power. <laughs> yes, no, let's spend more time. No, let's get it right. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that helps you grow every day. And, and when you do get to around the community, like Blade Show, I don't know if you've ever been to Blade Show, but uh, I haven't yet. I encourage it, man. It's a uh, it's an amazing event. But you know, as a maker, and we've only been there a few times as a maker, sitting there with the other guys and and having them say, "I can tell you pushed this to the limit." There's nothing nothing cooler than that. You know, the guys that that you look up to, like you know, for us, John and uh, Jim from HMC Knives, and and all those guys that I just you know, we don't see each other, but a few times a year, but to sit there with them and, and look at their work, I have them look at your work and say, hey, damn, you know, we all have something to strive for. It's, it's humbling and it's awesome. And it's something we always look forward to. It's been rough this last year, not, not being able to be around other people and, and do I'm that. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So for you, I guess I'm curious about your personal knife tastes a little bit when, so I guess first and foremost, if you're specking a knife for yourself, say it's not from your own shop, but if you're having a, a custom maker build a knife for you, are you more of a, like, give me some dressy, crazy materials, damn steel blades, some crazy inlays kind of guy? Or are you like a, keep it simple, let's make it a user? Like, where do you land kind of on that spectrum? It's a good question. Uh, I love materials. Um I'm looking at what I have over to my right. And the only thing I have that's exotic came from us. Um, I guess I'm more the user guy. Mm. Uh, I, when I, you know, my original taste, when I got into knife collecting, my first custom was a uh, DSK tactical Mm. uh, diamond. uh, It's a limited edition diamond back knife that he did years and years ago. Uh, and then my second was, uh, Koning Arius gen two, excuse me, okay. gen one from, uh, fanatic. Well, he wasn't fanatic edge, but Andrew from fanatic edge sold it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was before he was fanatic edge and it was really cool. Um, and they're all just kind of tie plain Jane. None of them have Damascus, but I always wanted Damascus, right? When I was new, mm-hmm. I always wanted some, I always wanted the knife fling. I mean, those are the you things the I full dress. Have. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you got to kind of, I get to play with those all the time now. Right. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I get to, 
dress them and and I love those material combinations. Uh, there are a lot of knives that we've done that I would have kept. Um, but when I spec a knife these days, they're mostly titanium um, mm -hmm. users, you know, sat, satin blades, really crisp grinds. Um, I like composites. I like carbon. I like carbon fiber. I know not everybody does, but I'm I a do. carbon fiber guy. Uh, I like them because they're light, right? You, you you cut a lot of weight and you keep the rigidity, I, I'm, and they're very pretty. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm more the plain Jane guy. But nowadays, when I pick a knife, I just tell you know whoever they're mostly from friends, other makers. Right. And I say, man, just do what you want to do. Pick something, yeah, make it, make it however you want to make it, and and I'm down for that. And most of them do titanium and steel. Um, I find that if you if you ask a maker to make something, maybe some Zerk, maybe a little bit here and there, you know, to, some Tamascus, but overall they're just going to give you a user because that's sometimes the hardest thing to do. Yeah. And I say that as a guy that every knife that comes out of our shop is dressier than the last. So I don't know what that right. says about us, but <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably a lot of just people are asking for that kind of thing. That's it's popular right now to do that kind of stuff. And I get it. I mean, I think especially when you're playing at a certain, like in a certain range, right. To feel like, I don't know. Sometimes I worry, like if I got on someone's books and then I asked them for just like the most basic user build that they could do, would I be wasting a spot? Would the maker see it as me wasting a spot when there's other people who are like, they'd ask for something way crazier. And I probably shouldn't worry about that because if I got the spot, it's mine. Like I can, that there's a reason why yeah. the, any option is an option, but it, it's like this, this weird thought that goes through my mind. And I don't know. I just, I'm more like you. I, I can respect some of those materials and things, but I tend to shy away from knives that I know I'll feel bad for using because yeah. so much of my connection to knives is the objects that they are is I want to cut things with them. I want to have them in my pocket. I want to like, I don't want to be afraid to use it. And I've made the mistake before of keeping knives that I wouldn't let myself use. And then I felt bad for having them. And it's like this interesting dichotomy, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm just, I'm with you. I think something it's, it's, that you can use feels better to me. So funny that you ask, cause I, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, I don't have my collection in front of me, but I'm trying to think of all the knives that I have. I, I think, I only have a, a handful of Damascus blades and all the, mm -hmm. the knives that I collected, um, maybe two or three and not because I don't love it. I I'm, I'm a big fan. It's, uh, it's one of the things that got me into doing this though, right? Is that mm -hmm. I wanted to play with the materials and I couldn't necessarily afford them on my knives. It was, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I couldn't spend that kind of money, but I wanted to buy the billet. And if we grounded ourselves, I could play with it and I could see it and I could, flip it and, and do all the yeah. things I wanted to. Uh, but I do miss a few of those. Um, that feather Damascus that we work with, the guys in the Ukraine, I think that guy, that guy kills that, that feather Damascus is so beautiful. I'd love to mm. have a knife with that. But yeah, uh, I think I, I, you know, um, I also think that we, you know, uh, we don't know each other really well, but I know a little bit of your history. You know, I, I think sometimes we as um, makers and critics, we like to think that we're more the purest, right? You know, the, mm. the flash and the glitz and the glamour isn't going to distract from what it is. 
but as a maker and having worked with all those materials, some of those materials in, in that, you know, that perfect storm we're talking about, a cord steel blade with black Damascus lock side and show side and that knife, somehow all those materials have that perfect storm of being a great action and great lockup and, and all the things you want, you know, the blade falls and, you know, it makes that great noise and everything is just where you want it. Mm-hmm. And if you've done that same lock side with the same cut out of titanium, it might not have had the same action. Mm. Um, just, you know, just in the behavior of the materials. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I've seen a lot of those go through where I would say they are just as edc as others. And I know guys that, that do EDC full dress. Um, Josh Rogers, I know if you're listening to this uh, at some point, he's in Alaska and, I mean, he, he EDCs full dress flipper strays and alphas and, um, we get them back and we finish them. Oh, it's, it's amazing. I, I love it. I, and it, I love that, that they actually test them, right? Cause so many guys take that knife and they put it in the safe or they put it on the mantle and it sits there and right. you don't test the lockup or the rigidity of, you know, how long is that going to work? Um, but I can tell you he's done it and, and it does work. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I think there's yeah. levels to it as well, because like when I think of myself as when I started like collecting, right, I've always carried knives, but when I got into collecting in the sense that I was on Instagram and I was constantly shopping for knives and I was watching YouTube videos and I was buying things so like, for me, the line has moved consistently over time as to like what I would let myself use. Like yeah. I've owned two areas. The first one I had was a gen three. And I hardly cut anything with it ever because it was like, it's the first time I'd spent that much on a knife. It felt weird to let myself use it. But then when I got my gen four areas, it was like, if I buy another areas, this one's going in my pocket anywhere, any knife will go and it's cutting anything I'll cut with any other knife. And I have, and I appreciate it more. I love it more. And it's like, now that I've done that, the idea of using a knife that's not 600 bucks, but a thousand dollars is like seeing how much more joy I get out of the object for what it is by using it. Like there's something cool about buying the Porsche Carrera GT. And instead of parking it in a temperature controlled garage and trying to keep the resale value as high as you can, taking it to a track and driving it hard. Like, and most buyers wouldn't do that. But the fact that some do is like, that's really cool. So I like, the idea of getting a custom that's like tailored to me and picking some options that just are crazy for the sake of it. And then actually enjoying it and getting the use out of it. I just don't know that I'm ready to, to pony up yet to do it, but. So I, I can't speak for all makers, right. But I, what we try, you know, what I, and, and this is such a double-edged sword, uh, honey. Um, this is uh, one of those We're things. Dads you know, Dad jokes are yeah, Right. Exactly. Uh, if you're going to buy some of these knives, you know, if you're going to buy a handmade knife from a maker, I, I maybe it's a Texas thing, but I, I have that belief that it should last you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you buy Tamascus and you use it every day and the color wears off, I believe that that maker should take it back and refinish it and, mm-hmm. and at their discretion. I mean, I know I'm not speaking for everybody, but for us, if you're going to take a full Damascus knife and you're going to carry it and you're going to wear the color off, I'm going to refinish it for you. 
How about uh, mirror I'll polish? Because s- that's my that's my qualm here. Dude, I'm yeah, afraid yeah, of I, this. I hate uh, uh, I hate a mirror polish. I <laughs> tell you straight up, that is one of the things I I just and it shouldn't be so rough, but um, I, man, I've heard I, I've heard every maker complain about mirror polishing the blade. It's just so you know. Again, it's that standard that you hold yourself to, right? Yeah. And I, I, I think about that as one of the highest standards for a maker. When you look at a mirror polish plate, is it truly mirror polish? Can you see that? And I'll tell you, you could probably look at a few of ours and find lines in there. I don't know. But um, this one's excellent. But I, I try. Uh, that knife. So it was, has Ryan told you the history of that knife at all? So he paraphrased it to me. The way I understand it, tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. This knife was supposed to go overseas to someone in like France, I think. Spain, Spain, Spain. Okay. And that guy, when it arrived there, they were like, he had to pay duties on it or something. And Mm -hmm. he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. So -hmm. the knife came back because the guy wouldn't receive it on his end. And then from there, when it came back to you guys, it went straight to the guy who did these mods on it. His name, I think on Instagram is the real Citric American. The recalcitrant American, yep. Um, and from him, it went to my buddy Martin, who I bought this knife from, or I traded my whole haptic for it. Um, I Martin's think. a good dude. Martin's yeah, awesome. Like Martin. He owns a couple yeah. of your knives. Yeah, he does. He does. I he went to high school. I, really like. I literally, good. I so we yeah. were in the same graduating class, and oh, I wasn't like I, I've never like been to his house. We weren't like friend friends, but we had classes together. I knew his name. He knew my name. Like we were cool with each other. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. as I started getting into the knife hobby, I think I, I just followed him on like my personal Instagram and I'd seen at the time he had some like crazy customs. And so when I started my knife Instagram, I followed him over there. He's just a person I knew in real life. And then now we've done like a couple of trades and I, I bought my uh, CKF rotten Evo two from him. And nice. um, it's nice. Cause when I trade or, or sell or buy from him, he lives half an hour from me and we just meet up in a parking lot and hang out for that, a minute. That Evo too, man, that talk, speaking of grinds and very well-made uh, production knives, that's, and, and uh, again, with rotten, with John Sorensen being so particular, I had no doubt that knife was going to be epic, but yeah, uh, let's go. Right. Yeah. So not to get off topic that, so that knife, yeah, it was supposed to go overseas. Um, it got caught in customs and, and I don't, I cannot confirm that the owner did or did not want to pay for it or whatever it may have been, mm. but it, it it stayed in customs for almost, I want to say four months. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't coming back. We didn't expect to see it again. It was just kind of in the ether. And when it showed up back at the shop, I messaged the guy and said, Hey, we got it back. You know, here's your refund. I'm sorry. You know, it didn't, yeah. didn't make it. Um, Thank goodness for my, in my case, because now it's, yeah, here. it well, probably wouldn't then, have been otherwise. And then Martin bought it. Martin bought it from me. Oh, okay. Um, and he sent it to the recalcitrant American, which that guy, I forget his first name, but he's an amazing, he's a great modder. Uh, yeah. He can grind. He can, he does really, really cool stuff. Uh, he's one of the few guys I would say that, you know, if somebody sent him a knife, I would be confident that he was going to leave it better than, than he started it. Right. And that's a short list of maybe five guys in my mind that can do that. <laughs> it's impressive. Um, yeah. 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 But, but he was great. And he, uh, he's the one, I don't know if he polished the blade, but he did that black treatment on there. Originally it was just a regular etch. 
yeah i don't know but this yeah it's like a black oxide finish right yeah and yeah i think that is it's a it bunch is. of people are like no nah, that has to be dlc and i'm like nah, no, i mean i've been told it's, it's black, oxide. black that's, oxide that's what he did yeah that's uh, that's my understanding of it too it's so bananas. yeah so it came back and martin had it and uh, and now you have it and it's it's a really cool knife it was one of uh i think it was the middle of the run i don't remember it's the number, number 46 yeah 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 right in the middle of the run but it disappeared, like I said, for almost four months. So it didn't really leave our possession till almost the end there. But uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun one. Um, so that's something I actually wanted to talk to you guys about as well, because it's one of my favorite things about the way you guys do knives is that you limit each model to a hundred pieces. And I feel like that's one of the things when people learn that about you, I found it tends to make people a lot more curious and interested in your knives because the idea that they're, these are custom knives, right? You guys are making yep. them by hand there in your shop. And sometimes a knife is called custom, but then there's like 1500 of them out in the world. And that makes yep. it feel a little less custom. So the idea yep. that you guys will take it to a hundred pieces and then you will not make anymore like it builds in this exclusivity that makes the customs feel more custom. And I, I think that's cool. I respect it. Even if there's ones I miss out on because of it, it yeah. makes me more excited about the knives because limited is fun. If you, if you're participating, it's hard, it's really hard. Uh, it was really hard ending the alpha run, the, mm. the full size alpha. That was, I mean, we're again, still pretty young and pretty early in this process, but that was one of the most fun knives that we've ever made and and the pup is still great but mm -hmm. the full-size alpha like like we said i mean i, I like working on the big knives i'd I, like I to build working. more of them yeah i would love to build more of them i wish we could and i wish we could I, and i found like you said um they really catch fire at the end of the run i mean mm -hmm. people really really want them when there's no more of them and that really sucks right yeah um but i love designing knives i want to keep pushing it i want to keep changing what's going on you know if we so it, interesting story the non the, the flipper stray versus the non-flipper stray and and that seems like i had people ask are you going to do a non-flipper alpha and the answer is no because this the flipper stray and the non-flipper stray are actually very different knives they're not the same the mechanics the the hardware the way that the non-flipper is designed is actually different than the flipper mm. um because of what we'd learned in the process. And so if you because, pull the flipper tab off, it wouldn't be the same as a non flipper stray. No. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't work the way you want it to either. Hmm. Um, unfortunately. And, and again, it came from my ignorance and my, my nuance into knife design. I didn't know what I was doing on that first. No, no, one. no. It was perfect planning, Brian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it was, it was foresight. Something came down and told me that this borderline was prophetic. I love it. I, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, I don't like to toot my own horn, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, and, and so, so it is actually a different model. Um, and I would do another alpha if I, if I could change it, if I was going to mm. do something different to it, we'll do another alpha. Um, but I don't see the point in doing a 2.0 of something when I didn't change anything about it other than to say, you know, making it smaller. That's obviously a different model. Um, right. So, but yeah, tweaking a minor feature just to, just to bring it back. I can see how that would feel like cheating to you personally as the creator where it's like, yeah, it's I, still the same. Knife. 
and I enjoy pushing myself, right? I, I want to do something else and there's always something else to do. Um, and if we're progressing, like we talked about earlier, if you're progressing, there's, man, this is a rough, I don't do a lot of podcasts, but I'm going to, somebody's going to message me and be like, you know what? Right up your ass on that comment. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like, and, and I, I'm, again, I'm looking at, at Bill's Arias that, you know, the thing about Bill's Arias is it keeps getting better. You know, he's not mm-hmm. resting on his laurels of saying, I'm doing it again. It's a 2.0. I own three different model, three different versions of this and each one has gotten better. And I can absolutely say that. Yeah. Um, Even just from gen three to gen four, I can say I immediately noticed the difference when I got a gen four compared to the gen three that I had. Yes. And so, the, well, the changes are so subtle, but the felt experience with the knife is it's dramatic. Yeah. So I'm kicking myself in the nuts on this one, but I have to improve something on it. Right. I mean, mm. it, it, something needs to be better in order to do a second version of it. Um, but yeah, so I, we actually got that from Shane at Scorpion six. Um, mm. when I talked to Shane initially, he said he did a hundred of each one and then he moved on. And if you know, Shane, he's the same way. He loves designing a new version. He's yeah. going to keep pushing it. He's going to change it. Don't rest on the laurels of the last one, figure out what you did and, and get something new. And, and that, that's inspiring to me. I, I want to keep pushing it. I want to keep doing it, but yeah, it's, it's really tough. Uh, specifically the alpha right now, I, it, I have a hangover on that one because I really want to keep making those and yeah, and it, it's fun, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's something that I think is really neat. Um, that's like a cool said, challenge it, though, because like, it, just from the outside looking in, like if I were you and I really wanted to keep making the alpha, then that means I have to go to the drawing board, right? And I have to find a way and I have to like put on my ingenuity hat and improve on something that I already loved in a way that I consider it to be a big enough improvement to justify calling it something new. Like that sounds daunting, but also like, kind of like a really exciting pursuit. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And frustrating at times, right? I mean, all the things that you, know, you have to sit down and, and you can't ask other people what they would change. You know right. I mean? Everybody's opinions a little bit different. Some people, you're not going to please everybody all the time and not every idea is a good idea. So you really have to think about what things lacked and what, what things you can change. Um, size, Man, again, this is this is rough. I, I'm gonna say size is a little bit of a cheat, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, I I would love to do a middle size alpha. Uh, I just don't know that I don't know if I want to, right? I, I kind of would like to improve it, like we're saying, like Bill. You know, he keeps pushing it. He didn't do a mini mini areas until he'd pushed this areas to the absolute limit. I yeah. admire I admire that huge, huge. I mean, Bill's. Uh, he's quite a bit younger than, than uh, I don't know how old you are, but quite a bit younger than I am. And, uh, I think he's a year or two younger than I am. Yeah. Yeah. I look up to him impressive. big time. He's, he's, he's so driven and what he does. Uh, I can't, can't speak highly enough of him, but um, yeah, I want to, I want to keep, keep designing. I want to keep changing. I want to keep pushing the geometries and the placements. And um, you know, one, one of the things, I don't know, have you taken apart your Evo? Um, no, I haven't actually. I've seen it disassembled because my good buddy left EDC, Kevin, he disassembles yeah. every single thing that he gets as part of his first impressions. He just like yeah. kind of Nick Shabazz style. He d- 
does a disassembly. I don't, I don't advocate, like to, but yeah, yeah, I okay. don't like to take things apart unless I need to, because I find yeah. a lot of the times when things have gone wrong on my own knives, it's when I'm when I'm taking them apart and putting them back together. I'll tell you, I don't. I, I before we designed our first knife, I hadn't taken apart any any of my knives, uh, mm. my areas, anything. I, I we'd watch videos about how knives, you know, knife design worked. Uh, Mike Ecom, I don't know if you ever follow Ecom knives. He doesn't really do anything. Heard the name. Yeah, but uh, he had a great video series on YouTube on how to make a folder that taught us the majority of what we know. But again, you can explain it to somebody. It doesn't mean you can do it because it's not going to work right. perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Evo, what I really love about the Evo design is John put two stop pins in it. Mm. It's very different. And, and if you've designed knives, it's, it's kind of a really odd... Um, geometry to work out literally just yesterday or the day before i was filming my review of this is an olamic oh, cool. whippersnapper Look at that. yeah and i didn't even notice it until while i was filming the re review i looked internally and i had looked inside this knife just like glancing in seeing what it looked like in there right but i did not notice until i was doing the review oh, yeah that there's yeah. two stop pins in there yep and yep and part of it, I think, is because it's a front flipper, and so the geometry where the lock face is and all that. But I was like, I don't yeah. know that I've seen that before. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, a different concept. It is. It's it's very and and that does have a lot to do with it. But it also, you know, on the Evo, it has to do with the amount of rotating metal on the back side of that blade, because mm. the blade is actually the pivot point is actually very close to the front side of the scale. Right. So it would be hard to put a stop track on that blade. So. And and uh, they're not the first ones to do it. Um, I'm pretty sure Strider does kind of a, a similar thing, um, where you know the blade has a stop pin on the external, and then there's one internally. Right. I just I love that back and forth. I've I've never designed a knife with that geometry involved, mm -hmm. but now having done this so many times, excuse me, I I see where that helps a lot. Yeah. Uh, in 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 trying to design a tight package with, with as solidly as you can. So I'd like to try that. Um, yeah. never done it before. And I'm sure it's going to open up a whole different host of problems in our process, Yeah, but I want to know how to do it. And I, and I think it opens up some design aspects that we haven't played with before. So, um, things here's, like, I know here's my unsolicited idea for you. Okay. Just because it just popped into my head. Okay. I think, I think what you should do, in order to kind of keep making the alpha, but also kind of bring back the stray. If you combined in some way, those two designs in a fun way, then what you would have would be the mutt, which is the also mutt. a dog name. Nice. Just saying. Nice. I like it. I like it. That, that might have to be a thing. I, I don't know that the stray and the alpha are going to have a nice baby. It might just be fugly. That's why it's called the mutt. Oh, that might mutt. work out. Uh, <laughs> I, I was gonna say, you know, uh, I know Ryan and I talked a lot about y'all's design before you came out. With it, but one of the things that's tough, and I know you guys work through this geometry, is putting the flipper tab in that upper corner of the above knife, the pivot. Right? Yeah, right. And that that's kind of what we're talking about, where there's a necessity of having, you know, these certain tension things in the room, the the rotation of how do you hide that flipper tab? How do you on package the top it? Point, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and I love that about flipper knives. I love that about flipper knife design is that, and design in general, I love constraints. You know, how do you fit all these necessities into this package 
in the most efficient way. I find that to be one of the most fascinating things about folding knives that that pushes me to keep wanting to do it. Um, right. Because it's a dance with blade length to handle ratio and then also packaging in there's several internal components that have to fit in a certain order and progression, right? In order to all work yeah. together. And there's so many different ways to do it too. But examples everywhere. One of the knives everywhere. that I've been loaned recently, I've, I've been critical of mm. Medford on Medford. my channel before, but yeah. this one I'll say compared to the last one I reviewed is doing much better for my preferences. But I have a, two huge pet peeves on this knife that aren't like, actual problems but just looking at them they bother me and one is the lock face sticks above the end of the scales like yeah. where the lock face is it's literally just proud of the scales by a hair yeah. if the right. scales were two millimeters taller it would hide it completely but they're yeah. like nope we're gonna <laughs> we're just gonna let that stick out and then when the blade is open the detent hole and track are exposed and it's one of those things where, like you said, on the Evo, he figured out by getting funky to have the pivot really close to the end of the scale and still everything is hidden. And here, to me, it just seems like I don't want to be a, a dick unnecessarily, but it seems really lazy to me. I, I hear idea. you. You know, one of the things, and I guess I, I, everybody has some reason, right? I mean, I'm sure if you listen to their reasoning, there was this whole line of questioning and, and it all came down to something. I, I will tell you that I'm not an advocate for Medford, but I do know <laughs> that the majority of the guys in this industry right now would not be where we're at without Greg Medford and what he did for this sure. industry. Um, so I have a lot of respect for that. And, and you know, I'll, I will... I will support that. Um, but I've, I will also tell you, I've never found a Medford that I'd liked. So you sound like me talking about Chris Reeve knives where I'm like, thank you for everything you've done, but it's too bad. You stopped 15 years ago. Cause you, you could have kept moving forward. <laughs> I've been at blade show so many years and I've walked over the table and I've tried to find one that I like. I'm like, I kind of like that one. And then you pick I, it up and you don't. Really great. <laughs> and then and then we always walk away. I'm like, yeah, I just can't pull the trigger on it. It's a cult following. I get it though. I, sure. Respect totally to people understand. who do like it. I yeah, 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 yeah. More power to them. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, everybody's got a little preference here, and and uh, the industry is changing. Um, but yeah, everybody's got a niche, and and those knives work great. You know, a lot of it comes down to reliability and what you're looking for, and and so. They've got their their market. I, I aspire to be where they are right now. Yeah. So you yep. just said the industry is changing, and I agree. And I think we should maybe talk about that a little bit. If you okay. were to define, I don't know, maybe set a framework for us. Like, how is it changing, and what is it changing from? Like, if it's going in a direction, what is it departing from? Like, what did people used to like that they're departing from to go and like something else? Or... Is it about customs? Is it about production? Is it about all of it? How do you see, like, is it buyer-driven? Is it maker-driven? Because I sense a change, and I've yeah. only really been in the hobby for a couple of years, so maybe that's not the most fair thing for me to say as somebody who hasn't been in it for 20 years, but I sense no. that there's 
something. I'm happening. not sure I have either. You know, I'm not sure I'm, I'm the, the uh, authority to say, cause a lot of these guys have been doing it a lot longer than we have. Well, um, good. Then we're both idiots and we can, yeah, we well, can no, just say I, that. And <laughs> I, I will say that straight off. I'm an idiot. Um, please don't, don't, you know, this is all opinion has nothing don't to do me, based bro. in fact. Yeah. Uh, perfect. Um, yeah, no, but I, I think exactly what you're saying is what is what I'm getting at, right? I mean, there's so many newcomers to this in, to this market, right? Uh, custom knives, handmade knives, high-end knives. Um, because get, don't get me wrong, you know, even even the European Asian production knives I have to my right over here, they're still high-end knives. For anybody that's not a knife collector, a three hundred fifty dollar, you know. Riot is some is of them a very believe knife. that there's a folding knife that even costs three hundred dollars. Yeah, right. I, I I remember looking at Benchmades at, at the you know their blue line and their gold line and thinking, holy crap, I can't imagine paying that much for a knife. And now knowing the stories and and the identity of all these things I have over here, um, I know that you know where they came from and the, and the design behind it, and I appreciate all those things, and it brings value to it. Um, so, but what I'm, you know, to answer the question, I think it's you and and a lot of the people that buy our knives right now, I get that message so many times, hey, this is my first custom. This is the first custom I'm going to get into. And and that doesn't mean they're not in the industry or they're not collectors. It just means it's the first time they're going to pay more than $1,000 for a knife that, you know, that that they want to live with. And, and this is not everybody because there's a turnover market, but that they want to live with forever. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they want to hand it down to their kids. They want it to be something, a family heirloom that is going to last forever. And that's what I want to, that's what we want to provide them. Right. Something that if, when it gets worn down, you send it back and, and your son, it gets worn down and he sends it back and we replace the blade. If that needs to happen at some point, the bearings and all those things that keep it as a family heirloom. The other side of that is the guy that locks it in the safe and it's a family heirloom and you never have to touch it. Right. Regardless of what that is, this market of people that want to spend more, um, it goes along with what's happening in our country. Craft beer, farm to table food, you know, um, it, it, you know, handmade motorcycles, everything that's got a personal touch, everything that you have a personal investment in versus going to Walmart and buying something and saying it cuts, it works, it goes in my pocket. If I lose it, I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have those too, but um, I just think that our market is following that whole trend in, in our, our world where having something, an emotional attachment to it, knowing where it came from, knowing the person that made it and knowing that they'll stand behind that product as long as you'll own it or as long as it exists is very important. Um, so I see that happening. Um, but tactical folders, you know, as far as, as market in, in purchasing, the modern design is overtaking the, the, and I, I have examples both ways on this, but I, I think what we're getting at is the, the modern clean lines, the, the, the modern spin on classic, folding knives is taking over right now. Um, mm -hmm. And I saw that at ice show. We went to ice show in Fort Worth this year. It was the first time we've been out there. Blade show just took it over this year. It was an amazing show. It was amazing. It, they did such a good job this year. I can only imagine next year is going to be that much better. And Texas knife shows, you can't beat that. But uh, you know, 
so all all the guys that I respect, um, um, man, all their names are going to escape me because I'm sitting here on this thing. But you know, a lot of guys, Harvey Dean, and all these Texas knife makers that that you know, the scrimshawing and the, the the scribing and the the detail that they put into these things, beautiful and and still so much value in that and ten thousand dollars and and all these things. There's a lot of value in what they're doing. But the market that we're in right now is very, very different than than that one that they built. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're getting a little pissed off at times about that, because um, yeah. we're new kids and we're coming in and we're we're not doing. You know, we hadn't spent twenty years doing it and and uh, put in the blood and blood, sweat, and tears. And I totally understand that. You know, having even been a new guy at it, it's it's a thing. Um, these guys put in their time and they have that experience we just talked about it, this controlled chaos, knowing when it goes wrong, what do you do? They got it in droves. And that's, that's right. what makes it more valuable is they put in the time, they know how to fix it. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, you know, I see these newcomers coming in and saying, I love that design. I love those materials. I love what's going on with this. How do I get one? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just put it in that same spectrum of our story, reaching out to rad knives and saying, I love this. How do I, how do I get one of these? Um, so that's what, that's what I see. You know, I, I see a lot of people moving toward getting into the, the European knives, getting into the three fifties, getting into the more collectibles, the high end, you know, the ZTs, the bench maids, then the smaller, you know, smaller run stuff, Brian Brown, uh, something obscene. Brian Brown is a great handmade knife maker. I mean, he's, he's, these guys just have these segues and shit. Felix, if you yeah. ever known Felix, he, his fixed blades were awesome. Um, I wish you could still stand anything in front custom of, the of his. I actually yeah. haven't handled any of his production stuff yet, but I have a J Cape in the mail on the way to me. Nice. So good, I'm good. Gonna, I have I'm one right here. Uh, uh, Felix used to make some really cool fixed blades. Um, he can't stand in front of the grinder anymore. But when when we met Felix at Blade Show, he only made handmade fixed blades, um, mm. and I think he had one one production knife out there. But couldn't be more proud of that dude. We've known him for a long time, and and he's just killing it. He 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 has a high standard, you know, like everybody we're talking about. It, it's got to hit all the keys for him, mm-hmm. otherwise he's not going to sell it. And that's why people keep coming back. He's he's got a quality product. And he's unique yeah. too. And his brand is super identifiable. Right. And I dig that. I think it reminds me of like, um, it, maybe it's the pocket clip thing, but it reminds me a little bit of like Ramon Chavez's knives because there are certain guys who like, when you see anything from their brand, you know, it's from their yep. brand. And I yep. think something obscene has accomplished that really well with the whole lightning bolt thing and the fist. And it's like, Amazing. It, it I'm sure turns off some people because that's yeah. not their style, but it also, it makes the following like, I don't know, more powerful when people are into it because that branding, it creates something. There's some kind of like camaraderie from knowing you're one of the ones who is into it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be your style. You know, there's somebody makes your style, no matter who it is in, yeah. in, in all the thing, you know, in this broad spectrum and, and blade show shows you that the, the room at blade show, you can find anything you want in there. Yeah. Um, but, but in any, in any group. So I'm interested to hear though, what, what do you see in this market happening? You know, in the short time you've been here, I think there's a couple of things that have been going on. 
Um, I think one is there's been an arms race in the budget knife world. And that has created, it's, it's made some accessibility for some people to feel certain things that they didn't used to. If they stayed like sub a hundred dollars, <throat> people, some people for a long time, that's the only range they play in and they don't bump up above that. But you get these knife companies like Civivi and like Kaiser for a little bit was doing their Tangram thing and their CJRB and like basically budget divisions within these Chinese OEs. They, cre like they started this competition where all of a sudden you start seeing really nice actions on bearings and like those knives are captivating at getting people into the idea that there's more out there more yeah. so than like I think CRKTs and Kershaw's and, and stuff have for quite a while. And so because they're also connected to brands that have lines of more expensive knives, it just, I think it's like it's brought curiosity up for people. And yeah. then I think there's also been an increased awareness. And some of that is like reviewers. Some of it is the Instagram community, but a lot of people are far, far more aware of steels and the performance of certain steels <clears throat> they're far more think they are. Yeah, true yes um they, they've seen a chart once um yeah. but like the, the consumer i think the things that the consumers are caring about for better or worse have gotten more and more nitpicky over time and like certain types of builds are just less acceptable now like not to be a dick but like to bring it back to medford the idea that like a year or two ago, I saw them releasing knives brand new for 600 plus dollars with D2 steel in builds that I didn't see as like technically impressive, you know, like yeah. slabs of titanium with four washers on one side and two on the other, like that, that's not competitive anymore, right. you know? And I think the competition has gotten more and more crazy and that makes it more and more difficult for the competitors, but for the consumer, I think it's been a really good thing where a lot of quality has trickled down yeah. and nice materials have trickled down. And, and I think it can also be a good thing though, because when you're able to get a production knife that has some Timascus on it and has an M390 blade and is ground well and has a fun action, then the idea that there could be more out there is exciting. Yeah. And it's like the only way to get more at that point is to step maybe mid tech or custom. Like, and, and it's I, funny because I, think I feel are going like there. we're talking at two ends of the spectrum here and meeting in the middle, right? right? Like, I see it on the handmade side and on the high end collectible side that, you know, we're finding this medium ground where, you know, 600 to 350, 300 is kind of where, where people are, are living most most comfortably right now. And right. you're seeing that from the other end, the hundred dollar to 300, 350 range yeah. where people are raising their opinion of it and saying, well, up. maybe I could spend a couple hundred more dollars and get the expensive materials and something that, you know, ticks all the boxes for me, the lock, you know, all the, all the key points you mentioned earlier, the detent, the lockup, the blade, the grind, the centering, you know, all these things are hammering that and I can spend 200 extra dollars and maybe I don't own three of them, but I own one of something that I'll have longer. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think we're getting to the same middle ground. We're just talking about it from two different angles right now. Right. Yeah. 
which is interesting yeah. because yeah, I think you have a much different perspective being where you are. And then like the conversations I have with people, even just in the course of having my channel, I've been a big proponent of trying to get people to latch onto the idea of like sell five of your budget knives and buy something decent instead of yeah. just buying another budget knife. Like, and if you don't love it, sell it and buy some more budget knives. Like that's kind of one of the beauties of this community is there's a robust buy, sell and trade environment too. And so yep. there's mobility <laughs> where you can move things around and you can try stuff. And what's interesting is now after a while of like myself being in that range where I've played in the like 250 to like 650 has been kind of my comfort zone. And I buy a lot yeah. of knives in that range, which is a pretty wide range, but like now I'm starting to play with the like seven, eight, nine thousand, you know, like playing with that. Yeah. And, but to me now it's like, okay, but I sell three of my 300 to $350 knives and I can have a thousand dollar knife and right. I can play with a Holt haptic and see if it's worth it. And if I don't like it, I can trade that or sell it and get something else. And if at any point it becomes too much, I sell that and I go back down to the range where I was happy in. And because somebody will love I just it, think, right? Yeah. yeah, I think it's great that there is that ability to play around, but there's also like, I feel like more people are doing that now than they were a while ago. More people used to be like, these are the knives I'm into. And they had yeah. like a collection of Emerson's or a collection of that. Like, and now there's people who just, they're, they seem to want more variety for themselves. And I love that because I dig it. <laughs> Yeah. So let me, let me ask you, uh, the motivation behind any of this, right? I mean, whether it be a hundred dollar knife or a thousand dollar knife, is it, what, what motivates you to jump into that? Cause I find that, uh, a lot of it is, you know, that FOMA thing, fear of missing out, right? Like, Oh, it's so Big good. I, I have to play with it. Right. I have right? to, I have to have it. I have to, you know, for lack of a term finger, you know, finger jam it and see yeah uh, i was trying to do the pg-13 comment there but uh <laughs> you, you can you know, say whatever you want on this podcast. yeah uh, don't just, worry you know I, you just want to you want to feel the action on it you want to feel what was so good about it what is everybody talking about what yep what are the key things that make this better than this better than that um and it may not resonate with everybody it, you right. know to say you know I, this knife i have in my hand um i got somebody traded me for one of our knives and you know it raffled i think it raffled for almost five thousand dollars <laughs> um it's it's a it's a cleaver from um it's done by dalibor and rad knives oh my goodness and then it was ground after the fact by john Sorensen and rotten design and he did the leather texture on there Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I had no idea about this knife at the time till I got it and asked some friends, you know, what's the history of this thing. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. The texture that John puts on this knife. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like a leatherette texture that he puts on some of his handmade Evos. Only seen it in photos, but it's yeah. wild. I, I can tell you, I, I felt it at blade show two years ago on one of the first ones he did. It actually it's titanium and it feels like I'm touching it right now. It feels like leather. Yeah, I, I if I closed my eyes and touched it, I would tell you that it's leather, um, and it's amazing that he that he can do that by hand. So I I understand and I get all the things about it now. 
my whole tarp of knives over here, I, I carry this less than I carry my, uh, my JK. You know, I carry my JK almost every day. Uh, and it ticks all those fidget spinner boxes, right? I, I flick it, you know, Ryan and I are often in the office. He's got the flipper tab version. I have the thumb, thumb stud version. We're sitting there having a conversation, flipping our Drake capes. Happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate all the things that went into this knife. Um, so the market just is growing that way, right? You're, you're appreciating the, people are appreciating the little things more, the materials yeah. more. But I think it's uh, there's a couple things there too, though, because some of it is the FOMO is a, a big, big, big part of it because people hear some hype about something and uh, that's a powerful motivator, right? Like, and it happens to me, it happens to, it, it's a major consumer like decision fuel is like, what if that's really good and I missed it and then it's too late, especially knowing that on the secondary things are probably going to be more. If I miss it now, then I'm going to yeah. overpay later. And it's this whole thing. You want to be at the beginning of a hype cycle and not late on it. And that's a whole thing. But I think another big part of it is with the advent of like social media and the knife community being really active on some social media at this point, at least the enthusiast portion of the knife community, because that's all I can really speak to. I don't care to think about the people who just buy a Benchmade and a Cabela's and carry it for 10 years. <laughs> like that's not who I'm thinking about, right? It's yeah. the enthusiast market. <laughs> I think a big part of it is knowing who the makers are. And like for me, the thing that's made me most customs curious and most yeah. high end curious has been knowing the maker behind it. Like before talking to Brian Brown on the podcast, I thought his customs looked really cool. I'd always admired them, but I would not have ever considered trying to get a book spot and paying what his customs cost. But now that I've talked to the guy and I know who he is, and I've talked to him since a bunch and like, he's a really cool guy who I respect. And I like the way he does it. I like the way he thinks it makes me want one of his knives. And I yeah. think the more people spend time in the hobby, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram or wherever it is, and they're learning who the players are, they're starting to learn which ones they like, which ones they don't. And a lot of it is like, Oh, I'll never buy from that maker. Like the number of people who I hear all the time, fill in the blank, which maker they hate and will never buy from, but they I'm also sure have some. Sure. And anyone does, right? Some have yeah. more than others, but I I like that. It's, it, it becomes kind of relationship based and Absolutely. whether it's personal or not, even if it's just observing the person, you can gain a respect for them enough to want to spend what their items cost because it's their art. You yeah. like them as I, the artist. I think there was a gap in the industry when we started coming into it where makers were inaccessible on Instagram um, yeah. and they couldn't be bothered to communicate right. uh, about what the custom was. We, we try really hard and, and, and I get why, you know, starting as a smaller maker, it's very easy to communicate with everybody and, and get down to the details and spend, you know, a week working through things and then, referencing back when they want to change the material, it wasn't hard. And now managing, you know, 60 orders at a time or whatever we're working, um, it becomes more difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. And Ryan helps us with that right now. But it, it just, I want to talk to everybody about their build, right? right? I mean, that's 
to me, sometimes that's what makes the custom really personal to you is that we got to discuss the material. Mm -hmm. You're not an expert on Westinghouse micartas. So let me show you what I have and let me show you the colors and how that goes through it. And I know some people think that's a burden and it, some sometimes it is, right? I mean, some days you just don't have the time to go through and, and it's mostly on the frustrating day when lockup didn't work out, right? That, that you right. don't want to talk about what Westinghouse color happened. We all have those days as makers, you have to understand that it's also business and this person doesn't know what you went through. So, you know, have a drink, discuss what micartos you want to go through and, and woosah and just, you know, right. Because they're excited about it. Um, and I, and I want to bring, I, I, Brian Brown does that very well, right? Brian Brown makes all his builds so personal. And yep. I've heard that from so many customers. How the he work in progress pictures, yeah. like even just what yeah. he's showing publicly about each build. I, I'm in his right. Facebook group. I follow him on Instagram. Like the idea that that could be my knife that I'm seeing him working on. That's yeah. a, it's a great touch. And some makers like even like the, I don't know if you're familiar with the new guy, Oz machine company. I'm sure you've probably heard yeah, of him. I've heard Daniel of him. Osborne. Yeah. I'm on his books for a spot. Finally, I'm stoked because I had a loaner one to review and loved it. And I've really wanted one since. And like, he's not doing an insane amount on social media, but each build that he completes, he's showing some pictures and a little video of, and He'll post little videos of him working in the shop just on random parts of his process. Yeah. And as somebody like trying to consider which maker I'd potentially want to buy from, if I'm going to play in that range, the idea that I can see how they work and how like it makes a difference. Like there, yeah. there's a, there's an added value on the buyer end of that equation when you can see, even if it's not your knife, just that if it was, you'd have that happening. Yeah. it's it adds to it it adds value yeah no I, I i agree completely and 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 just understanding that you pick those things right you work together I, I was talking to somebody tonight about um you know he didn't know what scale materials he wanted to put on the knife he knew the blade and and so we you know my wife gets irritated sometimes she understands more now that she's got you know she's doing the hangs for us and taking custom orders so she's always on the phone now too which you know isn't great that we're both on there but I, I, you know, since we started this, I was always in bed sitting there messaging people. And, you know, she had thought I had six girlfriends because I was sitting there messaging so much, but um, they were all just guys talking, they wanted to talk about knives and the material combinations. And so this guy tonight, you know, he knew the blade, he knew the backspacer and the pocket clip. What do I do for scales? Um, so in the end, we came up with, you know, he wanted blue and bronze in some way. And I, I love bronze is one of my favorite, you know, serious what would you call that? Uh, it's not a composite, but you know, kind of a an accent steel, you know, metal to work with. An um, ingredient to to put yeah, in your recipe. Yeah. I love silicon bronze. I just I love the way it sands. I love the coloring. I love the way it patinas. Copper and brass are great. I'm I'm a I'm a bronze guy. Um, yeah. So we came to blue and bronze, and just the short conversation we had, and and picking his brain. You know, what colors do you like? What materials have you seen? What things are you into? Um, I feel better about his choice. And I know that when I put it together, you know, we're going to work together on it. He's going to be stoked about it because he knows that we work together on it. Um, versus, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, just, you know, maker's choice. I love maker's choice too. That's, that's equally as awesome. 
Right. Um, you just, well, you probably want to ask that. them some questions and like, yeah, what are you into yeah. though? You know? <laughs> yeah. Give me like a general direction here because yeah. you know, when, when we do knives for shows, we're just digging in the pile and saying, what about this, this, and this, it doesn't mean that's for everybody. You know, everybody's got something that they saw that turned them on. Just give me a hint. Give me a, just a general direction of what you want to do with it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll run with it, but you know, and and it's kind of like going to dinner with your wife sometimes where you're like, oh, what do you want for dinner? Oh, anything. Oh, let's go to Italian. Oh, I don't want Italian. <laughs> that's that's every every single day for me. What do you want for dinner? And she'll be like, well, what do you want? And I'm like, well, you're the one who like eats like meat, but everything else vegan. And like yeah. most nights wants a salad, but tonight you might want pizza. Like I can order something from anywhere. So why don't you tell me where you want to go? Give and that'll go easier. You know, like what did you me, eat for lunch? You don't want don't that I, again. Yeah. I'll yeah. I'll pick three. You pick one from that three. That's the best I can do. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, you know, that happens a lot. Blade steals, right? I want something cord. It's like anything cord or here, I'll send you three pictures. Which one is closest to your direction? Yeah. You guys but, use a lot of XHP core, right? I feel like that's what I see a lot from you. Um, that's a weird flyer question, but yeah, yeah, uh, that's a that's a fun topic, and and I'll hit it real quick. You know, um, what was popular when we started making knives was actually Armor Core, which is making another round right now. Chad Nichols cord steel is always popular, but um, if you're not familiar, Armor Core actually came from armor plating overseas that he mm. flew over and got the armor plate and brought it back, forged it into knife blades. And Armor Core has a really high contrast. When you saw those cord steel blades back in the day where they looked polished, but then there mm -hmm. was an etched steel and you could see the grind lines, that's Armor Core. And it actually doesn't etch in every, you can't etch it, but in, in some applications of acids, you can actually leave the Armor Core clean and then etch the jacket. Uh -huh. um, and that, that was super popular. And when Armor Core dipped out, XHP kind of took over. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's Chad Nichols. I want to say his main core on his, his cord steels is XHP. I feel um, like this one's XHP, but I, I don't even know that for sure. That is actually 5050 forge mountain. Mai. Ah, uh, okay. that's a carbon steel. That's, that's part of the reason that, that, uh, that oxide, the, the, uh, black oxide treatment I find to works it? best on carbon steels. So that's why it works so well there. And we hadn't gotcha. even tried it for years. We used to uh, do that treatment on D2 when we first started. We had D2 blades, mm. um, and it worked really well on that. But so yeah, that's fifty fifty forges mountain. My um, that was when he had ten fingers instead of nine. Uh, <laughs> it's a historical piece. It's from a different yeah. time. Paxton's a good dude, but yeah, that was one of the first billets we worked with him on. Um, the guy and we were we yeah see more more story on that that knife. We looked for that blade steel. The guy was on my books for almost a year because he wanted true San Mai. He wanted jacket core, ja or I'm sorry, core, you know, highlight and then jacket. Mm. He didn't want, um, you know, like a, the Damascus jacket on there. Yeah. So we looked forever. You know, we went to Blade Show West. Daniel was out there one year. We went to that and he found a bulky v2 core steel and the guy was like no i'm not into that and then i think we met paxton because of that mountain my i saw it on uh uh number seven knives and oh mm. it, it, 
kind of reminds me of the Jack Daniels logo. Yeah, no makes, seven. Yeah, yeah. He ma- that dude makes awesome knives. I, I follow him. I, I love all his stuff. But met him at Blade Show a couple of years ago, and he had a, a blade that he did from Fifty Fifty Forge. We reached out and said, "Hey, listen, that's what my customer has been looking for. Can we get a billet of that?" And and that's the first one we did with it. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was it was a project. I mean that that knife went on for years. <laughs> well, yeah. It's cool for me. I uh, it's funny like the when I got offered to trade the haptic for this, it was funny the way it went down because at first I was just going to sell it and then just I'd have an even grand to throw at whatever, right? Like yeah. you pick whatever you want for that. And uh when I got the haptic, Martin had messaged me and he was like if you let that go, let me know. And I owed him one because he gave me a bro deal on the Evo too. And I was like, you got it. Like if I let it go, I'm messaging you before I message anybody. Like, no, not a problem. Right. So the day I message him, he had just bought a Shiro icebreaker from Mm -hmm. recon one and he had just switched jobs. So he was off his normal pay cycle. Not like he was unemployed and didn't have money, but he was like, I don't get paid for like two and a half weeks. He's like, I doubt you want to hold it for that long. And I was like, I'd really rather not. Um, so then he was like, ah, let me see, give me a couple hours. I'm at work kind of thing. And I was like, no worries. Like I'm not going to list it until like at least tomorrow for you, whatever, just take your time. And then he offered me this and I was like, I should probably do that. But yeah. like, is that really the knife I want? You know, like probably too pretty for me to use. And that's usually a big thing for me. And then I messaged Ryan about it. And I was like, what do you think about this knife? And he's like, dude, you'll never get another chance at a stray flipper. Like, let alone one that you think looks cool and is in a spec that you would like. Um, And so I was like, all right, I just got a YOLO. You know, like, let's go for it. It's true, man. Those stray flippers, I there's so many things I look at now that I I say, why did we do that? But it's still a great knife. I, I... I was actually, I have almost uh, one of our first ones that we ever sent out in, in my safe in the garage out here. And mm. uh, I was playing with it earlier. Still a great knife. Super fun knife. Yeah. I honestly, like I wouldn't have guessed that this was your first design. And then this one, number 46, that means you'd made 45 before it. Right. But that's not that many knives. And like the action is fantastic. The way you guys do this grind too to like progress upward and gain height as it goes toward the tip on like a spear. It's just a really cool grind that must be difficult to actually accomplish and have look even. That's all that was is just it's awesome though. And stubbornness. It reminds me of a like hinderer on the what's it he does it on um the XM18s, I think it calls it his slicer grind or something like that. Okay. On my, that. I had the ZT version of it way back in the day. And on the ZT562, which is an XM18, it has that grind that gets taller as it moves toward the tip. And so it like it has this like I imagine you have to kind of like twist as you're grinding to get it to do that. And it's just it's impressive to me to look at and it adds dimension yeah. and it's cool. It's- it's crazy difficult. And, and again, like it, it just came from stupidity. We hadn't done anything. I, I thought it was a cool design and uh, 
we were so stubborn that it was going to happen one way or the other. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was no getting around it. That's what we were going to do. So we figured out a way to do it. Daniel, Daniel does all our grinds, uh, coffee and blades and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, he'd have to talk through it, but he basically rolls the blade a little bit as he grinds through it to get into mm-hmm. the bigger hollow sections. And as we've progressed, I think he's now switched to using two different wheels. I, again, I can't really speak to it. He, he does a, a great job, you know, kind of adapting it. And, and on the earlier models, we did a lot of finagling to, to make sure it was going to work uh, a lot of hands yeah. and a lot of fitting, but again, it was just being stubborn. We were, we were going to make it work no matter what it was going to get into. So. I love it. I think honestly, like you call it stubborn, but I, I, I would call it like fortitude basically like, because <laughs> just because something isn't the most conventional way that's like agreed upon to do it, or just because you ask some crusty old guy, like, Hey, would this work? And he says, no, it, it doesn't necessarily always mean no. Right. And right. Right. I think you have to like, I don't know, at a certain point in design, the designs that I respect the most are the ones where you can tell the maker just didn't compromise. Like they had that stubbornness, if you will. And you touched on it earlier too, where like you can't take advice from too many people when you're designing something or making something. That's crazy. There's literally like a tiny spider on my table right now. (laughs) Um, It's great that you say that. Yeah, that's awesome. The... Yeah, just to put a bow on it, like the idea of designing something, I hate design by committee. I reject it. I think it's like it's the antithesis of actual design. And the the best things typically come from a person or a very small group of people who know what they want, know what they're about, and can push through to make it actually happen. Because like, that's where you get to something new or something a little bit unique. And so like if that grind was stubbornness or whatever, and a bunch of people would have told you like, no, you just, you want to make that bevel straight. Trust me when you're grinding a hundred of these, you're going to want that bevel straight. Like the knife's cooler because you didn't, (laughs) you know, like it's, that's what it is. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I appreciate what you're saying there. You know, the, the the fortitude of, uh, you know, exactly what you put it, the fortitude of pushing through and doing something different. And, and that's what we did. And and maybe that's kind of what made us stand out over other people with what we were doing. Cause we, you know, we looked at it so many times and said, so many people are doing good knives. I don't really understand why anybody's paying attention to what we're doing. Right. Um, but it, it, that might have been a lot of it, but I still look up to the guys that, can do the straight grind, right? The ones that can put that belt, sure. John Sorensen, right? I mean, rotten. And he does some crazy grinds too, but, but even the guys that can just put a belt to a blade, take it from one end to the other. I mean, we're going to go back to all my influences every, every six minutes to this conversation, but you know, <laughs> uh, Shane at Scorpion six, I, I think, the last time we talked, I think he, I don't know what he's down to right now. I, I might embellish this a little bit, but I think it takes him six minutes to grind a blade from both sides. Yeah. Six minutes. I mean, that's, I don't even know how long it takes. To, it, it's certainly not six minutes, maybe 20 minutes, maybe, maybe 25, 38. Right. You know, you never really know, but Shane can knock out a table full of knives in an afternoon and that is so impressive. Uh, 
and his, the lines look great. They're not sloppy. They're, they're even. He does such an amazing job at it. I have huge respect for that. There's just no getting around it. Um, but as a designer, some of the things that I want to do don't lend themselves to those easy grinds. It, it's it not, well, let me say that they're not, <laughs> not easy, easy grinds. They're right. all difficult grinds. But the, the, the normal grind, right, the start here and here vertical grind. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I have that stubbornness where I want to make it work and it's like, well, that doesn't work. Well, how can we make it work? How many wheels do we have to have? What, what kind of apparatus, what, how do we, you know, can you hold it at that angle? What, what can we do? And I love, I love working through that. The guys don't always, you know, we, we talked about earlier working on a knife team, three guys in a shop, you know, kind of like having two brothers or you know two people that don't like you every day that you know want to want to talk about uh you know hey guys let's talk about how to do this it's like god just leave me alone i just want to sit over here and work today right um so you have to be sensitive to that but but when it works you know when everybody's in the mood to discuss you know how you're going to get something done it's it's very worthwhile i i enjoy that being able to knock it off somebody because again, I can't imagine being Brian Brown in the shop by himself every day, right. not having somebody to talk to about it. I, I would, I would have a struggle. I would want to reach out to somebody and say, what do you think about this? Because um, it's, it's very restricting. You just, you don't, yeah. don't get a lot of outside influence. Yeah. That's gotta be such a different flow. <laughs> like, yeah. I, oh man. But yeah, I think it's really, really cool that like, I don't know. It seems to me from the outside looking in, like when you're in a design process, you don't think about it from the standpoint of like, what's conventional, what's going to work easily. What's going to like, you're not designing to meet an end. You're designing to design. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're designing for the outcome of creating what you think is coolest and most interesting and most unique. And like really the only rules you have to follow are physics. <laughs> There's no rules to knife making. There's no, yeah, that one. it's an artistic expression. So you could like, whether it'll work or not or sell or not, you can figure out by like taking it further and further down. But I like the, the fearless approach to like, I want to design this the way that I think it's coolest and the way that yeah. is the most true expression of like what's in my brain and me getting it out into this design instead of, all right, but let's think about it more practically. Like practical yeah. isn't always fun. And there's people who handle practical. Like you said, that's yeah. those bases are covered. So why do you have to be another one? You can, you can And it's be... good to have that person in, around you, right? I mean, Daniel's definitely the more practical side of my brain sometimes yeah. when I bring it in there. It's like, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, well, let's try it. And then, you know, we'll, we'll work it out one way or the other. But um, but yeah, it's uh, there's, there's so many different ways you, you it's kind of like um, 3D modeling, right? I, I, I admire the guys that can do this in 3D. I, I always start with a pencil and then um, I like to go to the grinder and start grinding things and finding angles and finding contours and finding mm. surfaces that go together through subtractive process. That's how I, I like to find my shape. Um, but now that we're gonna be doing more CNC knives, I need to do it in 3D. Mm-hmm. And I do find that some people that model in 3D are restricted by 3D, you know, the, the, their capabilities in modeling it. Can I pull that surface? Oh, those don't go together. 
Well, on my grinder, they go together just because the program doesn't say those two services go together. I promise I can make that happen. Right. Um, and, and I hate when, when the design is restricted by the capability of the designer in the program, mm-hmm. find that to be frustrating. And I say that for me, right? I mean, that's, that's all about my design process. If I can't pull that surface and I compromise by saying, well, I'll just do it at this angle, that would frustrate me. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I, I, I have my process, but I'm gonna have to step out of my comfort zone a little bit and get more into that and, and figure out how to do that properly without compromising because um, otherwise, you know, the design lacks. Yeah. Um, so I know there are a lot of guys that don't do that. There are a lot of guys that are really good at 3D modeling and do it well. I just know there's a whole group in the middle that, you know, kind of compromise on where that surface goes or how that's going to look because they couldn't figure out how to model it. Right. Right. So that gets yeah. That's a, it's a whole different skill set. <laughs> yeah. Like it, and that's another thing that's wild, like, like, especially for the one man shows who can run the business, they can make customs, they can design in 3d and model in CAD, right? They can communicate with an OEM. They can like, they can keep deadlines and book spots and all these things like that's It's so many balls to have in the air at one time. Yeah. And so many technical skill sets to be able to physically grind a blade and do it beautifully. And then also to be able to sit down at your computer and 3d model something is like, it's super commendable. I, at this point, all I'm comfortable with is, sitting down with some graph paper and a sketching pencil yeah, and drawing and it. I love that. I, I don't think I'll ever get away from that, but there's so many talented people in, the, in this industry, you know, so many, it's, uh, you look at some knives and you say, how could you do anything different? It's, it's all been done. And then mm-hmm. somebody comes out with something different and you say, wow, where? Here we go. Again. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I love that. I love it too. So fun. we talked quite a bit about, knife preferences and stuff um i know you've mentioned a couple of production knives but would you say like at this point if it's not from like a designer you're friends with or somebody you know do you still like buy other knives out of curiosity or has that lost because i can imagine at a certain point like you've got plenty of knives around you and you have friends who are shoving knives at you because it's it's the space you dwell in. So the idea of like going online and like looking for a different, like whatever new Benchmade just came out, like, is yeah. that still at all fun for you? Or does it have to have some kind of like more meaning by a, a person attached to it? Or These are, these have all been good conversations because we, I think we've gone in circle, you know, in a loop on most <laughs> of these, but uh, I love, so I was never really a, a big production knife guy. I mean, I, I had, you know, uh, Kershaw's and, and things like that growing up. Um, somebody got me into Benchmade's, you know, a couple of years before I got into custom knives. Uh, and I love their products and ZT and stuff like that. But to bring it in full circle, I couldn't keep track of the names, you know, the numbers. And, and I, I couldn't wrap my head around which model was which. And I right. think that hindered me from being really, really into it was paying to paying enough attention to know the difference. Um, I would always walk into a gun store and go straight over the knife, you know, the knife case and 
look and see what I liked in there and see what I could afford and see what I could pick up. So I was always picking something else up, but it wasn't necessarily from a collector's standpoint. It was just, hey, I'd like a new knife. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't. Uh, Which done, is fine too. You don't have to like. Yeah. Yeah. Catalog no, everything. Yeah. 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 But, but, you know, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't looking for the next model and the next version of the next folder. Um, attention to drop dates or. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which I know, no, I now know has been happening for years. Um, but uh, guns got me into knives, right? Mm. I, I, I was, I, I liked high-end guns and that got me into Instagram. And then I got into these knives and it was you know, like we're talking about the variety of the design, the, the, the things I hadn't seen before, the cleavers, the um, kind of like stiletto looking things where they were thin and folded properly. And it's like, how did they get that much blade in that little case? Those are the things I hadn't seen before that made that sparked my interest in, in this. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I was already an industrial designer at the time when I found custom knives and then then my brain really opened up to what was possible and what you could do with them. Um, so to answer that question, I, I still go into knife stores and I still look around and find things and I, I, yeah, I'll still buy a, you know, $120 knife cause I really like the shape of it or, or how it's functioning, sure. but I'm an action snob now. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I use knives like, like most of us do for fidget spinners. Right. So if it's not going to, it's not going to solve my fidget, you know, issue, then I'm probably not going to pick it up. Um, right. I am a microtech whore though. <laughs> I, I love a good microtech. So if there's What's a nice your microtech, favorite around, microtech, um, I love my Duroc Delta. Okay. I have the full size Duroc, the, the Delta. I borrowed and, Ryan's Duroc Delta. It was a nice knife. Yeah. Um, it's a little stiff. Mine's a little stiffer. I have the proof run, um, and having mm. it on the front there, but and then my wife, I bought her one of the UTX 70s. Mm -hmm. That's just a lot of fun. That little, it's like a little, it's like a little toy. Yeah. Yeah. But the action on it's really cool. So uh, I, I carry my, my Duroc the most, but. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been yeah. on like this Microtech quest basically since I started my channel where I've owned an Ultratech. I had like a Hellhound Bounty Hunter Ultratech. It was rad. Um, I've had a combat Troodon. I've had a UTX seventy. I'm gonna say, but the 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 combat trudons are very large. I yeah, mean, I get why, but you know, for me to carry. So for me, I've found my Goldilocks finally is okay. the regular troodon. Okay. Because it's a little wider than the UTX or the UTX eighty five, but it's the yep. same length as a UTX eighty five. So since it's a little wider, it makes it feel kind of slimmer in a way because it's like flattened out yep. and it's a little easier to hold on to it's less thin in hand you know like a utx 85 just feels a little too small and it, it just it like it carries really well i took the glass breaker off because i hate glass breakers with an absolute passion um <laughs> but it's like it's just awesome. I, I, i've tried the big ones i've tried the little ones um, I haven't tried the cipher yet. I'd really like to try one of those, even though they're huge. I have a but... cipher. I, I I could send it to you. It's not. You like not it? My favorite. Uh, I, I, it's big. It's a big <laughs> sure. knife. I uh, think part of why I want to try one so bad is just because it's what John Wick carries. So it... so I will I will tell you yeah, that's a good point. I, I can get on board <laughs> with that. Um, 
I really want a Halo. Mm. And I didn't think I would want one. I didn't think I would want, you know, when I saw that it was a caulking auto right. in my Single brain, actions, I thought, totally why different. the heck would I want that? I, there's no, no world where I would want one of those. Yeah. And now having experienced all the other ones, I really, really do want one. I've heard they fire the hardest too because it's single action. It's yes, like it will, it will, it will get you. It'll go yeah. through some things. Yeah. Yes. Whereas some of those will stop. You know, you go to a water bottle. Yeah. It will not stop. Yeah. It's it's serious, Epic. but I, maybe that's one of the things I like about them. But yeah, I, I would like to. That's on my list of uh, yeah. maybe Blade Show this year. Pick one of those up. OTFs, they'll just always be exciting, I think. Like autos. Yeah. I've always had this thing where until this Troodon, I've always picked them up and living in Southern California, I'm not supposed to carry them. I'll I'll let you deduct for yourself whether I do or not. Um, right. but it's a I've always like felt like oh, I gotta get one. They're so fun. And then I get one and then They've just never really clicked for me in like use or carry. And then after a couple of weeks, I let go of it. But then like a month later, I'm like, man, I got to have an OTF in my collection. And I'll get another one. And then it's like, it's been this cycle. And so now that I've found the one that like, I actually enjoy having in pocket. I actually enjoy cutting with it. Like I like it on its own merits as a knife. And it's a super fun OTF with a great action. It's like, okay, this is the one for me. But yeah. They're also, it's, it'll always be fun to try new ones too. Was that one just, serrated? No, uh, it's just uh, a no. plain double edged. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. And so I like the double. If you're going to have it out the front, I feel like double edged is the way it's, you have it's to go. It's the platform right. that makes the most sense to do it on. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. So that's awesome. You had some bench maids. You like Microtechs. Is, are there any other like, brands that have your attention spider i know you said zt you had some of i i like i love uh man why do we all love spider co so much uh i i, I do like I'm spider, a huge co. spider co fanboy <laughs> i just you know they're I, I get them and their actions not exactly where i want it to be and the blades usually like way off to the left in the scale or the right you know depending on how you're looking at it in the scale um but somehow we keep going back to them and keep using them i the spidey hole is so much fun to flick um i'm i'm i I just love a good spider co i've seen good ones i mean every once in a while you see somebody who's like oh mine's perfect centers and action's great everyone that i have now if it didn't come out of the box perfect it is now because i'll just (laughs) do the crap out of them but they uh spider co is the most exciting to me in a lot of ways because they they play with steel the most yeah and and for it at in their u.s factory at affordable prices like i have a, a pm2 and cpm 10v and it was 160 dollars, and oh. that one came centered it's a little stiff but it's broken in it's on washers and a dlc coated 10v blade for 160 dollars oh. that comes finished yeah. in a knife like that's a good deal it's great sale. <laughs> yeah absolutely i agree um yeah. and so the idea what are the that scales they have g10 like the yeah G10? it's just tan yeah. g10 um but i've modded some of them i put my carta scales on or carbon scales i don't like adding heavy like titanium or copper scales or anything like that because to me it should be a lightweight knife the way that one's built but yeah yeah i spider co is not without fault for sure they've, they've come out with plenty of things that i think are not so great but they also 
they function a little differently than like Benchmade or ZT do for being a US company with kind of high level production. I, I like the way that they operate. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of my go to. I, I I think right now, if you said, what are you going to go if you had to walk out of here and buy something, it'd be a Microtech or a Spyderco. Mm. Um, I like Spydercos a lot. That they've they've definitely stood the test of time. Um, right. That's that's the you know at Blade Show. If you had to go, when I go to the production booths, Spyderco is always always one that I hit first because I, yeah. I like seeing what they're coming out with. And they've been pushing the limits a little. You know, they've been working with designers for quite a while now to. I have one of the the black snow sabotage. I know Ryan has one too. You have one too. Yep. Oh, look at that mod. Dang. Yeah. I had Rivers Edge Cutlery Cerakote <clears throat> this, so it's freaking wow. so legit now. That yeah, is really. I cool. love this knife. Mine's uh, still bright orange. Yeah, I had one in bright orange, and then I let it go. Just I sell a ton of knives that I love because I'm always reviewing new stuff, and so if yeah. I'm finished reviewing it, then I carry it less because I'm reviewing whatever else I just got. Um, so I, I sold my first one and I called it the danger banana. And I love <laughs> that name for it because it's shaped like a banana. Um, and then I've just missed it ever since having it. But I was like, if I get another one, I either got a scale swap or something because the orange is just a bit much for me. And it then I've seen some great mods on them. Yeah. yeah they, they started doing Cerakote over there and I'm friends with the guys at that retailer and, um, so I sent it into them and they Cerakoted it, did an awesome job. They can Cerakote the G10 great. too, which is rad. It's like, yeah, it's really, really cool now. So that's awesome. I dig it. But. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember playing with that at blade show a few years ago and it, you know, folded and hit the top of my thumb and cut me pretty seriously. I was like, yep, I got to <laughs> yeah. own that one. That's it. I need one it of makes those. you bleed. You got to buy yep. it. You got it. You got to buy it. That's what I always tell people at the table. You can play with them, but if you, you cut yourself, you own it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fun. Uh, I encourage you to go. You, you have been to any knife shows? So I've been to California custom knife show three years in a row, but that's okay. very small compared to blade show. Um, yeah. I was hoping to make it to blade this year. It's just not in the cards for Atlanta, but blade West supposedly is in long beach this year. Yeah. I heard that, which I'll be there. <laughs> that's, 40 minutes from here. That's no biggie. Um, yeah. Even if it was in Portland, I would have done Blade West because I've got a good buddy that lives right outside of Portland. So I could have like brought the wife and kid and had them stay and done a whole trip out of it. But Atlanta's just, yeah, it's not going to happen this time. But we don't have West on the calendar right now. But if you ever get a chance to go to USN, mm, that uh, one's in Vegas, in Vegas, right? Yeah. So that's actually on my list because a lot of people that I'm close with seem to actually prefer USN even to blade show, just the vibe of the show. I wouldn't dare talk any crap about any blade show <laughs> things, but I will tell you that USN is one of my, my personal favorite shows of the year, not just because okay. it's in Vegas, but the people that are there and, and what's on the floor and the, and the makers that, that show up. Um, it's, you know, if you're into specifically, you know, customs and handmaids yeah. and things like that it's there's no better room no better show maybe tki i haven't been to tki mm. but like are there dates for the gathering this year yes and i'm probably gonna misquote it but it's usually the well early we can talk about it after <laughs> yeah. if it yeah. so vegas for me is three and a half hours and that's also easy and i know people who live close so like yeah i could it's an could awesome show. squeeze that you, one you out. should you should try to make that work because uh it's just a good time it's it's a 
and again, barring Vegas, it's just, I'm just talking about the show. It's, it's yeah. a lot of good people there. For sure. Yeah. I'm not a big, I'm not like a, I don't party. I don't drink. So Vegas is like, to me, it's buffets. Um, yeah. but those are good too. It's yeah. close. So that's perfect for me. Awesome. Um, all right. So I had one other question that I was trying to remember. Um, we've talked a pretty good amount of things we've talked about. I think we've kind of encapsulated what, in a way, the future of Keenison you kind of envision to be. Maybe we can kind of end on that note too, see if there's anything specific we want to come to on there. Um, what about... So here's an interesting question that I always try to remember to ask makers. Um, and sometimes I forget. Is there something that you've learned in knife making that you would say is like really unexpected something that has come from the pursuit of making knives that you would never have guessed would be a thing you'd learn from doing that. Um, yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> so I'm going to break this into two parts. You know, I, I, the one, you know, and I touched on it a little bit, what I've learned about knife making in the process the most, um, is, like we like we kind of discussed is the ability to I want to say overcome but troubleshoot right the the amount of um, the the wealth of knowledge you have to dwell on to really make these things work the way that you want them to mm. you know a, a lot of people get into this and think number one I'm just going to machine it it's going to work the way I want and that right. you got to know really what ever happens what what pushes on what, what pulls yeah, on what. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and even then, even when you have, think you have it figured out, you know, we, we, I, I mentioned it earlier, chasing that dragon down the rabbit hole and trying to figure out how this affected this affected this. Why did this one work so well when all these things are the same, but what's so different about them? Um, that's been, you have to embrace that. I mean, you have to love that about what you're doing. Otherwise, mm -hmm you're just going to get so frustrated with what's going on. Um, and then that's going to happen regardless. But um, that's, that's one of the things about knife making that I didn't know when we started was going to be so prominent. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I definitely thought that, and, and, you know, a great machinist even can make flat, you know, flat um, recesses and do all the machining properly. It doesn't mean that everything is going to work exactly the way you want it to with that material and that size liner and that, you know, what worked for this guy isn't necessarily going to work for this guy. And you got to figure that out. So that was one of the things that I don't know if it surprised me, but one of the things that I've learned that I've really tried to embrace that's changed me as a person, which leads into the second part of what what I've really learned that I didn't know I was going to learn as much about myself and my and I'm, you know, still not quite where I want to be with it, but my ability to digest some of that stuff when it doesn't go right, when mm. when things aren't properly done, um, not just in myself, but with working with the other two guys we work with, um, being able to sit there and saw is a bad word, bad, bad, not a bad word, but a bad term for, for, you know, taking a breath and trying to digest it and trying not to freak out. And I know the guys will, that I work with will tell you that I'm, I'm the first one to jump on. Holy shit. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
but usually that comes through the you know the thought process of what's wrong what's wrong let's figure this out is it this is it this is it this holy shit where are we now and and then that last straw of okay guys come over here and let's let's work through this because I don't always want to always cry wolf every time that something goes wrong. You know, we, we all want to solve it on our own. Um, and again, you know, for the guys like Brian Brown that are in the shop by themselves, solving all those issues, you know, we all try to reach out to each other, but when, when you're looking at something, it's hard to reach out to somebody else and say, look at this and tell me, you know, what's going on with this. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely that ability to overcome. You know, to overcome yeah. the obstacle, to overcome the challenge, to overcome that thing that's going to bug you that day and stay with it rather than going in the house and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm fully done with this. I cannot work this. Um, I've, I've grown. I've learned a lot about myself and a lot about knives and a lot about the industry and people. And um, so I've, 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 I encourage anybody keep pushing through the obstacles that that you see like that you know the things that this is not possible i can't do this you know just just keep plugging at it away at it and especially if you're a knife maker i talk to a lot of guys that like we talked about how do you do this how do you set your lock face how do you how do you grind this where is this tolerance what size detent and i'll, I'll tell them any of it you know there's nothing in there that's proprietary it's Cause just cause it works for me, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. doesn't mean it works for your right. design. I can just give you the leg up and maybe that gets you close to where you need to be to tune in where you want it, where you want it to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love the journey that it's, that has brought me to, um, my background before this was in it. I did, I, I ran an it company with employees and that was a different challenge, but, but I, I appreciate what this brings out in myself. Um, and I look forward to who I will be in 10 more years of doing this and 10 more years of patience because I have two daughters. So hopefully the patience I learned here will, will echo into my, my parenting life. But yeah, yeah. Yep. I love that answer. No, that's great. I, uh, it's funny. I've had a couple of conversations recently with some friends, um, where <laughs> it's what every time I talk about it, I, it makes me like kind of cringe for a moment myself because there's like, I live in LA, right? And sometimes people will use the terminology like, I'm trying to find myself. Right? <laughs> and, and usually that's followed by yoga and astrology and things that I, that's not me. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do think like if you strip that away from that term of like, finding yourself. It's been an interesting time for me in the last, I've, I've been doing this like YouTube and now podcasting and, uh, and treating it basically like a full-time job for a little over a year. And it's funny because like I knew who I was before I started this. It's not like I was some late twenties man soul, who had yeah, no, you pick, know, yeah. but yeah. there has been an element of by just spending so much time engaging with something that I'm more passionate about than anything I've ever worked at before, there's been an element of finding myself in like a, a kind of cool way. And yeah. in talking to other people who are just in a creative endeavor, whether they're also YouTubing like I am, other friends who have channels or makers like you or like, 
hearing people talk about the methods by which they're finding who they are and what they're made of. Like, even though it sounds cliche and really corny and, and just like makes me as a not very emotional person feel weird to even talk about. I think it's really cool. Like that that's a lesson you could get from knife making and I could get from making content about knife making and like, yeah, by, by taking, going out on a limb, I think is where it really happens because you've had to push outside of your comfort zone. All those things you're talking about learning are from stretching yourself and pushing yourself and growing hurts. Like growing is not meant to be comfortable. No. Um, but I love that that's a, a component of it for you. Is it like makes you a more sure person in yourself, makes you hopefully a better father, better husband. Like that's yeah. really cool that that could be that way for you. And like I said earlier, I think the maker is a huge component of especially the the segment that you are in. And so to see that you're passionate about it and that it's having an effect in your personal life to be doing that is I think meaningful. So I think that's a, good, a great answer. And Brian Brown too, you know, I, I, we talk about that all the time as makers, we, we're growing constantly, right? We're, we're always trying to up the game. We're always trying to do better. And, yeah. and at some point, you know, what we're doing is, you know, you guys, the community is paying us to learn. To, to get better at what we're doing because if the knife that we put out this year is the same as the knife we put out in two years, we're not doing anybody any real good. I mean, it should always progress. We should always push it further. We should always improve the product, whether it be a CNC knife or, or not, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. we should always be pushing our limits as far as designers or fabricators and, and, uh, and it goes with really anything. Like you said, the podcast thing. And I, and I have a question for you you know, you, you said about the growth and finding yourself in, in this endeavor for you. And, and you did mention the podcast community too, but do you think a lot of that has to do with the knife community as well? Because I found it very welcoming. You know, I, I found myself in this community. I, I hate being the guy that preaches it all the time, but I've met so many great people in knives and that, and that's why I've really also tried to kind of watch my tongue in this. Right. I mean, a lot of the opinions I have, I have best friends to do a lot of the things that, I may have critiqued or may have had an opinion about, but sure. it didn't, doesn't mean that I think less of what they're doing. It just means it's not on my path or what we're trying to do for sure. Um, because everybody has their own, but, but knives in general, it's such a great group of people in my mind. Um, and, and I've enjoyed it so much and the shows and, and, you know, the, not just the people buying them, but the makers and, and the people putting on the shows and, and, everybody that's been involved or just to me, I, I, I found a community for me. And I, I, I ask you, you know, to get to the question is, is it, has part of it been the people that you've, you've met through this endeavor? A thousand percent. Yeah. Like yeah. some of the friends at adulthood for me has not been very full of friendships <laughs> because I had a kid in my early twenties, my daughter's six and I'm 28. And my wife is two years younger than I am. And so like we were really young parents and most of my buddies from when I was growing up were in college when I was having a kid and a family yeah. and I was married and living with my wife and having a kid and trying to make ends meet, wasn't going to school because I needed to make money. And like it, my life became pretty different from most people my age pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I just, I haven't had this like, 
big pool of friends around me. There's been times where coworkers I've gotten relatively close to and hung out and stuff like that. And then like over time, I've met a couple of guys like from the church I go to and stuff, but like it's rare. I don't have very many friends I'd consider very close, but then all of a sudden through like this hobby and then especially in starting the channel and getting to know other people who are so deep into it, like I am that they're then making videos about it and like taking it to the next level where it's like a, a, a serious engagement for them. I've made some of my best friends in the world in that way. People yeah. that I talk to not just every day, but like pretty constantly all day. My wife makes fun of me all the time because like a lot of my best friends I've never met in person yet. Yep. <laughs> and there's people I've like I mentioned at the beginning, Shane is in that group chat that I've been in for years. And I know those guys by their first names. I, most of them, I know what their families, family members names are like what's going on in their lives. Like, They've been through milestones of getting married, like hard times, stuff like that. And that's so much more real in this community than like I've been deep in the automotive community. That's clicky and toxic and difficult to be in. And there's some good people, sure, anywhere. But the knife community is very unique in that way. And I'm constantly encouraging people to like just talk to people. Just like if you've got a couple of buddies, put them in a group chat together and and talk and like i don't know there's there's something about this hobby particularly that attracts a certain type of individual um not like demographically but in just like this no. interest yeah it's very bonding. different demographically all kinds of different people right i mean D D guys and car nerds and i mean yeah you've and, got really somehow, macho yeah. alpha dudes and then you've got yeah. guys who are like artistic and like you've got women and there, there there's this whole like yeah in, in the midst of all that i find like most people are really cool not everybody yep. there are people no who, no no definitely not yeah <laughs> certainly no. not no, but, it, you can't talk across the board and everybody's got their opinions and everybody's been wronged in some way but in general even even when you get on the message boards or you buy and trade buy sell trade and somebody does you wrong i mean there's going to be 300 guys on your, you know, on their back, you know, supporting you because they don't want to see you get wrong because they want to support this community. It, it's, it's great yeah. in that aspect and it can be double-edged obviously and in, in all kinds of different things. But yeah, I, I just, I just wanted to, you know, kind of see if you'd had the same experience that I've had because part of what makes this something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life was the people that I met and, and the relationships that we built throughout this process just made it a no brainer, right? I mean, yeah. to give up what I had to do this, I want to keep doing it. I, I'd love to continue to do it as long as I possibly can. And, and part of that means doing everybody right, right? Putting out the best product, standing behind it and doing right by everybody that wants to support it. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. I love that. And I like that you also seem exceptionally honest <laughs> about it when like, you know that you won't be perfect at it and you can own up to that. And like, there's a, a humility about it, but you also know that your stuff isn't garbage too. Like you're not overly humble, but I, I just respect that because I can tell from, this is the first time we've talked. <laughs> we had yeah. DM'd very right. briefly about making this happen. But like the, the idea that you're the person behind Keenison and that your goals are 
to make people happy, to be community focused, to work with people collaboratively on the knives that they want will make them happy, regardless of what they're planning to do with it. Like, I don't know. I just think you're you're very approachable as a maker. So I'll, I'll yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes that. in ten more years. Hopefully, hopefully it gets a. Uh... Hopefully, you know, I keep that or uh, we do better and, and there's reason for me to be an asshole about it. But uh, right now, you know, it, it's only time to tell that one. Yeah, right. So we have such great support and such great people. Um, you know, we're just we do the best we can to put out the best product we can. And and uh, handmade is is very difficult. You know, it's all of it's difficult. CNC is difficult. Putting out putting out the thing these guys do. I. I hate writing some of that off, you know, uh, right. Brian Nadu sharp by design. He, that guy's a wizard on a CNC. I, I, I hate putting it in buckets. I mean, we're all, right. we're all just doing the best we can to put out the best product we can and, and not be D bags about it. I hope. Um, yeah. So yeah, I appreciate that. I love that, man. So I think we should probably kind of tie a bow on this. We've gone for quite a while, but I do want to yeah. end on like, we've talked production knives, would ideally be a thing in the future of Keenison. I'm assuming there will be more like custom models runs of a hundred. That's what you guys have been playing with already. Where do you like, if you were to try to encapsulate the vision of like what Keenison will be moving forward, what's the future of the brand, the company, the people like, is there a, a macro yeah. a micro? I, I don't need any specific answer, but I just think it would be no, interesting to uh... hear. You know, I, I I love what we do. I I, I think uh, handmade knives are are fantastic, and I I always want to be able to put everything I have in into these products. But I also want to be able to take what we've learned from doing handmade and put that into anybody's hand that wants one, right? And and there's a ceiling to what we do. There's only so many hours in the day, and these things take quite a while. So. I'd like to make that more accessible, but I, I'd like to keep it in Texas, right? That's our goal. We've always, mm -hmm. we've always tried to do that. So, um, you know, Daniel and Will and I, our, our next step is to, to try to do something on a broader scale while keeping our quality in there and keeping it something that we can keep an eye on and um, make it still have our names on it so that we're producing it. Um, there are a lot of little things that may happen in between there, but you know, the general idea is that we, we would love to be, you know, a household name in, mm -hmm. in knives like everybody else. Um, that might be a farther reach than, than is, we're capable of reaching right now. But uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to do larger scale production in here in Texas and here in the United States and, and uh, be able to make an accessible price point knife that, that we can put into more people's hands and, mm -hmm. and bring our quality without relying on somebody else to do it. So we'll see how that I goes. That, uh, that's, that's a tough, tough goal. A lot of, a lot of better men than I have tried. So, but there we'll are, see how that goes. there are some who have been successful at it. Like it, I think of in my mind, what's closest to what you're trying to describe is basically like if ProTech was in Texas. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, right. And I love that idea. I love ProTech knives. They're in yeah. California, which doesn't bother me so much because I'm also here behind the wall. Um, but I love the idea of more companies like that. And I yeah. think there's been like this outcry for like 
more American made options and people will pay for those things and people want those things. People would love to see those things succeed, myself included. And I think that's really kind of, I can't see there being a Riyadh or a we here out of nowhere. It's just like, that's a, such a big leap to make from, yeah. from square one <laughs> to just no. get to that finished product. But what can happen is there can be more pro tech like brands who right. don't have to be KAI and they don't have to be CRKT and like these giant, giant companies, they can be these like self-sustaining medium staff of like effective and successful knife companies. Grassroots, if you will, you know, yeah. you, you, you know, the people that are doing it right. And if you get enough of those, then some of those can also slowly but surely start to squeak out. Like we can do someone else's production run of something and yeah. not just our own designs. And, and I think it, it's, a, it's more of a long game than just like, don't buy from Riyadh. You know, like I, oh, yeah. I don't, no, no, I, I don't feel that, but I love that I, there's I people like Riyadh. you trying yeah. to figure it out to like yeah. bring more of it here, stake your claim. And I, I applaud you for it. So I think that's, and, and I'd still love to work with those guys. You know, I, I still, I love what Riyadh does. These guys are, they're doing a great job with it. I, I, I don't want to discount anything anybody's doing, right? I, I, right? I'm a big fan of everything that's happening in this industry and the way that everybody's pushing it, everything we've discussed, right? The the way that everything's kind of pushing to a, a general price point and a general acceptance of, of everything. It, this has been an awesome conversation. I've enjoyed, you know, and, and like I said, I think everything's kind of come around <laughs> since the way, since we started this. So that's been really fun, but yeah, I, I I applaud what Riot has done for all these makers. I mean, I think it's pushed this industry so much further and it's made it's given a lot of guys the ability to push their trade and and extend their reach and and do what I'm saying, you know, I, I'm not I'm I wouldn't say that we wouldn't do a Riot knife. I mean, we absolutely would. I, I like those guys. I think they put out a quality product. Um but but you'd prefer to make it in Texas, which is fair to say. And Yeah. And I commend you for saying it. You know, I yeah. think, I think it. That's another thing that like, it takes balls <laughs> to to get that done would be major. And so to even admit you want to do it, a lot of people would be afraid to like say that's the goal because they'd be so like intimidated by it. You know, and so I, I like that you can openly be like, we'd like to get there. We don't know every step of the process yet. But we're starting to plan. We're figuring it out. You know, we're putting one foot in front, of the, in front of the other. That's great. I'd really appreciate everybody for supporting us along the way, right? I mean, that's what this is. Every time we we hit a new hurdle, we get a bunch more people supporting us and 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 pushing us to our goal. So it's been been amazing. Yeah, man. Well, sweet yeah. Brian, this has honestly been awesome. Um, it exceeded my expectations, which were frankly pretty high, um, because I've. I have this and I like it and I've heard great things about you. So um, before we kind of sign off, where can those who are listening, if you're on YouTube, these all will be linked down below, but where can people who are listening find you or Keenison knives or where, where can people get more Brian and Keenison? Yeah. Uh, good question. Keenisonknives.com um, is our website where we have all the models listed on there. Um, Instagram as you know, that all of us do is, is a great outlet for you know seeing what we have going on uh seeing what new models we have coming out and, and how we're we're progressing um 
I'd love to tell you there's more outlets, but that, that's that's kind of where we're at right now. We'll, we'll as we grow, you know, hopefully the website grows and and we push our limits a little bit further. But um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's where you find us these days. Killer man. Well, sweet. I uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to check out your work because you guys do some awesome stuff, and I yeah. I love seeing it progress as time goes on too. literally just the last couple of days watching you guys yeah. from start to finish, do your first inlay model in some wild materials. Like it's cool to kind of virtually be along for the ride. So um, I appreciate you taking the time, man. You're honestly welcome anytime. Let me know if you, if something big is happening and you want to have a podcast to commemorate it, or you just want to chat like this again, it, it would be a lot of fun. Thanks Jake. I appreciate this. This is a lot of fun. Killer man. Well, sweet. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, this has been episode number 20 with Brian from Keenison and, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on the next one.